So, yeah. <laughs> and with that said, ladies and gentlemen, hey. welcome to another episode of the Kick It Podcast, coming to you live from our hometown in Oceanside. As always, I'm Louis Lope. We got Bruce. We got our boy Smoke Dog. Victor couldn't make it tonight, but uh, he'll be here next time. And with that said, uh, our special guest tonight, Jimmy Figueroa. Oh, man, appreciate every one of you guys, man. Thank you so much, Hell man. Hell yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming through. We appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Me and Bruce go back like 10 years, bro. So like, Yeah, bro. <laughs> he hit me up. I was like, yeah, bro, just tell me when. You know. Yeah, so, Louis Loke didn't believe you and me had history that much, bro. <laughs> yeah, nah, we, go, we, go, we go way back, bro. So, yeah, like, he told me, man. But I was yeah. like, all right, like. I, I was like, really? Like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't believe him at first. Well, it was like, if you know me, it's like before, like I moved down, like and kicked it by the beach and shit. I also had my history in the Valley Tamien. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. So that's where we met. We met in Libby. So I was back there, like 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Bruce has come through the program, and so we connected back then. So yeah. like, it when was- I saw him doing the show, I was like, dang, that looks like Bruce. <laughs> right? I thought he was just a guest, yeah. so it was like. But then I, sent, I kept seeing him on the show, and I was like, "Oh no, he's like a, he's like a part of that." And so, and then he hit me up, or we would talk here and there, mm-hmm. and then he hit me up, and so it was like, "Yeah, man, absolutely." Well, what program was that? So, um, it's Project Reach Libby Lake. Okay. So it's on the corner of Calle Montecito and uh, North River Road, right Vista above the community clinic. Yeah, above the Vista Community okay. Clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's an after-school program for middle school and high school students. And so I think Bruce was like a sophomore at the time. So, like, I've known him, bro, like, since, oh, yeah, since. yeah, yeah, he was, like, 15, 16 years old. Dang. And mm-hmm. so he stayed, right, like, literally walking distance from the program. And so he would come through, and all his homies were there at the time. And so, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, it was that type of generation. Yeah. And yeah. it was cool vibes. I remember um, there was another guy before you. It was Jason. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, a Jason, yeah, It was a cool-ass yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. And I saw you, and you took it over. I'm like, okay. And then people were kind of surprised because I remember they asked about your background and then you showed them your ID. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like you're all bald headed and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. You like I just I just want to change my life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that was a big part of it for the for me, like coming in um to take over for for Jason, man, who was a cool dude, but it was kind of intimidating, man, because it was like he had been there for seven years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he so he had seen these kids from the time. If they were in elementary school now they're graduated from high school so he had that bond with them and i think that that taught me a lot man because you know libby's all like predominantly everyone's mexican in libby you know you have a few like uh you know different nationalities there but it's a predominantly mexican community and jason was white a white jewish kid super skinny big, no, la- big was. Glasses, right? and, he was a white nerdy guy right but there man, they, they would they had his back you know what I mean? Beyond everything. And and I think that for me, that showed me something because it, it just showed like it doesn't matter where you're from or what you look like. If you show love to a community and you're consistent and you're honest and um, you support what they're trying to do, man, like that transcends anything. And so like coming in to take over for him was intimidating, even though I was from Oceanside. Right. And I had spent time in the Valley and, you know, I'm Mexican and all that. So you would think that. But it was intimidating. I'm taking over for this white Jewish kid who grew up not in Oceanside and these kids were bawling, crying on his last day. And they were all Damn. talking about like, you saved my life. You impacted our family back then and this and that. And I'm sitting there like, man, how am I supposed to follow this? Right. Right. But it, you know, for him, his, his biggest thing was just like, man, just do what you said you're going to do. Show up, be consistent. And um, man, just be genuine, you know? And, and over time, time will tell you know and so and and i think that was the big that was the biggest thing and so for me stepping in i kind of stepped in with not like oh i'm from oceanside 
it was more of like, man, how can I help you guys? Right. Right. And I think over time, that's how the relationships build. But like my relationships with the students at that time, I think I was like 25. So I'm 35 right now. So I was like 25 at that time, 26. And now I'm 25. Right. right. <laughs> so like Damn. my students and I are tight, bro, to this day. Like everyone that was part of that group, like I, we kick it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like those are like, that's like family. And I, I think we just went through a lot too, because um, immediately, like the Valley, if you grow up in Oceanside, you understand that you're going to go through some traumatic experiences. And so like my second day on the job without Jason, you know, we had one of those incidents that took place at Libby. And me growing up in Oceanside, I had experienced that within my own generation with my own friends mm-hmm. and, and loved ones and, and losing friends to, to, you know, to traumatic incidents. And so I was able kind of to tap into what I went through um, with that group. And I think we bonded uh, super tight because of experiencing. And that wasn't the only tragedy. We've gone through multiple and, and celebrations. And yeah, uh, of course, of course, with all the tears being shed, there was a bunch of smiles, too. But yeah. around that time, though, if you actually grew up around that yeah, area, yeah. It, it was it was fucking crazy. Yeah, you know, you actually rapid. couldn't be like mobbing a few blocks without getting into a little bit of trouble. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so like someone be, checking you. So being with them during that time and kind of just like also understanding like during my generation, it was active, too. So it was kind of like just trying to provide different options, but also at the end of the day, man, like just knowing that like when you came to the program, the staff and myself, we were going to be solid. You know what I mean? Like we were going to be someone you can lean on during that time. And even when the program was, was like, you know, not operating, but you can always hit us up. We were just going to be consistent, you know, and we were going to have something solid that you can lean on during like stability, stability, man. That's it. That's it. And show you love and encouragement. And, and and that was it, man. And, and then we just championed whatever the kids wanted to do. That's why when I asked him, is he still doing art? Because at that time, he was all about art. So it was like, bro, if that's what you're in, how can we get you in front of artists? How can we right. know, champion whatever Te- it is that you want to well, do? Well, technically, I did. I'm just in the fucking scene. Right, 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 right. So, and that's all it's about, bro. Like, regardless of, like, I heard a, a dad say this yesterday for Father's Day. He's like, man, regardless of how crazy my kids' dreams are right now, I'm just going to champion them, bro. You know, I mean, that's the best thing I can do as a dad, like regardless of whatever, embrace it. I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to support them and encourage them and just teach them basic skills that you need to be successful. But you can apply that to whatever dream right. you have, you know what I mean? And so I, th- I think those are just some of the yeah, mm-hmm. some of the things that we went through during that time. But yeah, man. interesting. Well, let's go back even further back, yeah. man. Tell us a little bit more about yourself before you started you know, being part of that project. Yeah, man, I bro, I. So, like, my parents came here from Mexico in the 70s, individually. So, they oh, didn't come okay. here. Like, they met here. Right. And, what part of Mexico? Uh, my dad's from Guanajuato. My mom's from Zacatecas. Oh, okay. And so, when they came here, my my mom's family was a little bit more established. So, like, uh, what I mean by that is that my grandfather had that my mom's dad was coming, was coming, working, and sending money back home, and then going back uh, to Zacatecas. And then every time he'd bring somebody with him, you know what I mean? Right, kind of right. creating that pipeline. Um now they were coming undocumented, but they back in the sixties and seventies it was a lot different. Especially the United States was promoting work here. So right. That's something that people mm-hmm. don't know. They were promoting work mm-hmm. here, and then when you know the economy would go down, they would blame it on the immigrants, You're and right. they would try to send them back. But that people come here for a reason, right? Yeah, and it's so, you know, the the chase of the American, the American dream, right? But they're also selling the American dream to Mexicans yep. when they need the cheap labor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my they were coming here to the Solana Beach and Sanitas area. Because that's where the work used to be. Um, Eden Gardens, that entire community used to be uh, predominantly populated by uh, people from Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so that's where um, my mom's family was. And my dad, 
my dad was an orphan um, in, in Guanajuato. And so he was raised by an elderly couple and he found out that his mom was in Tijuana. Um, and so at 16, I think 16, 17, he found his way from Guanajuato to Tijuana by himself, um, found his mom. I mean, he, they had a, like a, they were communicating. It wasn't like he didn't know who she was. Right. He wasn't just going out there. And right. Like- but when he was young, she left to TJ. Um, so, you know, obviously pursue, uh, right. right a, a better, a better life and hopefully bring her kids. But she ended up, uh, you know, having a family out here. My dad came out here, was in Tijuana for a little bit and then crossed the border, you know, as a teenager. You know, mm-hmm. like what what a high school senior would be. And he's pretty much homeless out here. Found work in Solana Beach. Somehow met my mom's brothers, so my uncles. And he developed a relationship with them. And then they somehow got paired in a quinceanera together. And so that's how they met. My dad was probably like 17, 18. My mom, mm-hmm. I think, was like 16, 17. And, yeah, man. <laughs> hey, and they, 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 got, they got married. Like, they were like 20. You know what I mean? So they got married early. They lived in Solana Beach. Back then, that's just what it was, right? It, yeah, yeah, it was. I, I've always said, like, I, I feel like now it's, like, they grew up quicker back then. But I think it's also because it was like a life expectancy type of thing. Yeah, it was a right. lot, you know, shorter than it is now. So I feel like, for example, you know, like the teenage years, right? Like, what is it like 13 to like 19? Yeah. Now it's, it's like 13 to like 20 something. Like, yeah. You know, because yeah. we're, we're a lot older, you know, yeah. like <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're living up to like 90 years old easily, facts. you know. But it's also if you think about it, even from my dad's perspective, this dude is like 18 in a whole different country. Guanajuato. Yeah. It's not like, you know, Baja, California. You know what I mean? This mm-hmm. dude traveled all, you know, yeah, like, from one side the, to the other. Right. Yeah. He's out here on his own. And so during for, those decades, that was some real shit. Right. <laughs> but bro, he's like a full on adult. Like, who's here to tell him? Like, exactly. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And so, True. Um, you know, him and my mom got married. They lived in Solana and Sanitas for a little bit. But then, uh, similar to what we see happening here in Oceanside, uh, at that time, Solana Beach and Sanitas was starting to get gentrified. Mm-hmm. And so it was getting a lot more expensive to live there. And so you started having uh, an influx of people coming down to 78, right. you know, like um, Oceanside, Vista, Carlsbad at that time still because they saw Barrio Carlsbad. Mm-hmm. So people were still living in that area, but it was more like Oceanside, Vista, San Marcos, Escondido, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so my parents were a part of that. Um, in 86 is when I was born. My parents were still undocumented. My mom or my whole family, my older brother, because I have an older brother, my older brother, and my mom and dad were held in. They were caught by the Border Patrol and they were detained. I think I was like a month away from being born. But at that same time, um, the federal government passed uh, uh, an immigration policy, the Immigration Reform Act of 1986, which gave people residency if they had been working here for a certain amount of years. And so my parents, man, like got that right before I was born. Oh, which like changed like everything. Right. I came in like literally like a month. Right. 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 So it changed the trajectory of my life and also for theirs because they know they no longer had to live like you know, quiet, mm-hmm. you know, let's not get caught by the border patrol. Um, and I got to see that play out with other family members because like, you know, back in the days, like, so a lot of my family is here in North County. We're deep in Oceanside. We've always been deep in Oceanside, but we're, we're very big in North County. We got a huge uh, presence in Tri-City. Um, but we also have family in Pacoima. So in Los Angeles, Van Nuys area. So it kind of seemed like everyone that came either came to North County Oceanside or like Van Nuys, right? And I remember sometimes everybody had to take that risk when there was a family party in Pacoima. I remember go up there, we didn't go past that checkpoint, right? And sometimes, man, like we would have ants that would get caught. And at that time, it was different. You get caught by a checkpoint, you're like, all right, we'll see them in a week, 
Yeah, no, you know, it's, oh, it's, no it's, it's, real like, shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of my uncles shout no out. Issues. <laughs> yeah, one of my uncles like every like every year for the holidays he would go to Mexico and then just cross the border like because yeah. he already knew the routes. You know, right, it, right. it's not like it was. It's not like it is now where right. you know you got to worry about you know like coyotes and cartel and you right. know like it's it's a whole different That's thing. That's the industry, now. yeah. And, and you know, different. and I and obviously I don't know that experience because I didn't I didn't go mm-hmm. through it. But the way that I hear my parents talk about it and and my family, it was kind of like like you said, like they knew the route. And if someone got caught, you're like, okay, they'll be back in a few days or in a week, right? And so I just remember, you know, having those experiences. But when I when I was born, I was born right here in Tri City Hospital. We rented a from a family like in the Mid Valley for a little bit, and then there was like a huge domestic issue where there was a shooting that took place when I was a little baby, like inside the house between the people we were renting from. Mm-hmm. And so my we were renting a room. It was me, my brother, my mom, and dad from them, and we left there like the very next day. Um, and we moved to Center Street. And so we lived there for a couple years. And then um, after that, I, I've been in Tri-City, you know, the majority of my life. We lived off by Tiboron and Thunder okay. on that side of Tri-City yep. by the DMV. And then we moved to um, the other side of 78 Tri-City by Miracosta. Okay. And then, yeah, man, the, the majority of my family or a big part of my family was all between like um, the Roselle College Boulevard all the way to John Landis Park. Like we were deep, bro. So like I'm, <laughs> even now I'm used to like. Like we're just deep in that area, that whole Tri City area. Um, but yeah, so I was born and raised there, and so like, you know, grew up in Tri City and attended Lincoln Middle School uh, because I lived on that side of of Oceanside. I I uh, went to El Camino. So being at Lincoln, I experienced like South O and the downtown area when I was in middle school. That's where I spent a lot of my time because that's where all my homies were at. So I got used to taking the 302 bus and going down to, you know, just being in downtown right. off Nevada, Clementine, like all those streets, going oh, to the Boys yeah. and Girls Club. Um, and then when I got to high school, that took me to the Valley because going to El Camino, um, you know, that's where all my homies were now. So, like, I got to experience Oceanside from, like, as a whole. And that's something that I tell people all the time. Like, it's one thing to live here in the city for 20, 30 years, but come as an adult. And it's another thing to go to school here. Right. Because you're going to have homies from everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so you're going to experience the city a lot different versus you coming here as an adult. Because if you come here as an adult, you're going to go home, you're going to shop where you shop, and you're going to go to the places you go. You're already setting your ways. Right. But if if you go to school here, like you grew up, if you go to, you're going to experience Oceanside. Yeah, you're going to experience Oceanside. You know, if you go to El Camino, you're cool with everybody, Oceanside High School. yeah, and it's, it's the same way. You it, know it's I mean? just more of like a school rivalry. Right, you know? right, like, oh, right. You're over there, but like we're cool. Like, yeah, yeah, especially if you go to Lincoln because half the school goes to Osha High School and half the school goes to El Camino. Right. Yeah, and so, so it's, like, it's not like you're just, everyone here is going to the same high school. Yeah, so you have a lot of homies where it's just like and some homies get to pick. They're yeah. like because they live on that like that, that line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so um, at that time I played basketball, and so and during those times, if you played basketball, you went to El Camino. Like that's just that's just right. what it is. If you play soccer, you go to Oceanside. Um, at that time, both schools were so good at football, so it kind of didn't really matter. Um, you know, now it's a, it's it's changed a little bit, but I just remember at that time I played basketball, so I wasn't going to go to Oceanside High School. I was going to go to El Camino. But yeah, man, I got in a lot of trouble in middle school, so like I um, I didn't um, I could never play like like for the actual schools. I always played travel ball, um, and so I had a horrible attendance, bro. I was I was I was on SARB, that which is like if you have a bunch of truancies and absences. Um, you have like a SARB officer and they like, like a probation officer. Yeah, for school. And then like, they, they'll like, if you miss another day, you go to, you go to juvie type of stuff. And Damn, so like and yeah, yeah, at that time it was like that. And it's not like that no more. But um, so every day I went to the school, I had after school detention, you know what I mean? And so like, <laughs> I just got used to like, okay, I got detention today. <laughs> um, 
and but yeah, man, I had an 0.0 in seventh grade and eighth grade. Um, I didn't graduate from middle school, but El Camino had pretty much told me like, if you come to summer school and get a 2.0, you'll be able to come. I should have gone to Claire Bergner because I was the first year of Claire Bergner. And at that time, if you didn't graduate from middle school, that you, yeah, you went to Claire Bergner because I could play ball. It was kind of like, well, if you get a 2.0, then we'll let you right, in. we'll right. let you in, right? Yeah, and, like that athletic, you know, yeah, like privilege. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I did, and I killed it, man. I killed it that summer league too for um the JV. I was on the JV summer league team, and I did really well. So like, I was like, man, I'm set. I was like, now I'm gonna do good. I had an 0.0, but now I'm just gonna turn it on, and I'm gonna do good in school, bro. I, I did good in summer school, and as soon as school started, it's like it was all it was all, all, it was all going right planned. back to, the start, right? <laughs> to, to man. I never played one official game at El Camino of Basketball. By my senior year, bro, I had sixty credits. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, and I was I was done, bro. Like, I I, I uh, yeah, man. By that time, I had experienced so much. You know, like growing up in the city, you start losing homies, and and you know all the dynamics of the city, and. um yeah, bro. I uh, I left El Camino my senior year and I was done. You know, I was done with school. And I think I was still on Starb. I was on Starb that entire time. And I remember my last week at, at El Camino, my junior year, there was like five days left in school. And I had to have to had a meeting at OPD with El Camino, like assistant principal and a probation officer and um, OPD officers. That's what they used to do. You sit at this round table. Mm-hmm. They told my mom, like, if he misses one more period of school and the remaining days of school, he's going to go to juvie. And there was like five days left. Right. Bro, I hadn't attended every period since seventh grade. <laughs> like, like I hadn't ten, I hadn't been at first period to like, is it six periods in school? Seven, six. Seven, six. Right? I hadn't done that since seventh grade. And so I remember being in first period. And this is the last five days of school. You know, the last five days, everyone was like chilling. Yeah, everyone was like, yeah. Bro, I was miserable, dog. It was like, <laughs> I just remember being there like, this is crazy. Like, you guys do this every day? You know, but, <laughs> but that was my mindset, right? I was like, and, and I hadn't attended five straight days since maybe like since my freshman year damn so like to be there five straight days i was like by the last day of school i was like bro i'm never coming back like school's not for everybody yeah well i mean Mm -hmm. i ended up doing a lot of college but what i'm saying at that time i was just like i'm never coming back because i i in that point in my life there was no one that had gone to college in my family there was like we had very few high school graduates um and i just didn't see it I, i mean i couldn't think beyond like tomorrow at that time but i also didn't see the value in it and i also didn't appreciate like how my teachers talked to me like from a very early age elementary school middle school like i had like a lot of i used to look at like the police and teachers all the same like this this like institution of like even i'd say man of racism you know what i mean because the way that they would talk to me so i had a lot of like resentment towards the Mm -hmm. entire system at a very young age no one taught me that that was just based off of experiences you know and so I, I was done, man. But um, my mom was going to the Maricosa Community Learning Center off of Mission Avenue. Mm-hmm. And she would go to work, bro. She would wake up at 430, be at work at six and then get off like at four and then go to, to that uh, community learning center to learn English. Right. And I'm watching her like just grind. And she was like, hey, they have an adult school program where you can get your GD. Like and by that time, I had put my mom through my parents through so much that I was kind of like, I'll do that for her. Mm-hmm. Um because I was kind of starting realizing like, dude, like a lot of my actions are impacting the family and um, I'm seeing my homies get locked up and just all this stuff. Right. But also like saying like, man, my mom's like doing all this and trying to learn English. Like right. she, she's grinding, right, she's, she's grinding, right. Her free time. She's learning. Right. English. Right. And yeah. so, you know, and, and my parents speak very little English to this day. Like they don't, cause ever since they've been here, they've always worked in jobs where it's like, they don't have to speak English. 
right? So my dad's a landscaper. He's a landscaper to, you know, from, from since my whole life. He can speak English, but he speaks in the, in a form of like centimeters, inches, pipes, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that are related to construction. Like work language. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and my mom's been pretty much like a factory worker uh, the majority of my life. But yeah, man. So like I went to the CLC and, and ended up through there. That was the first time that like teachers actually talk, talked to me with like a form of respect. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like they just talked to me different. And because they were talking to me different, I was more willing to accept what they were giving me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up getting an adult high school diploma through there and a GED. And then, yeah, man, um, I think during that time, that was in 2004, um, you know, I had some of my best friends, you know, one of my best friends was shot. Um, I was with them right before it happened. And uh, I remember I decided not to, like, kick it with them that night. But I was with them right before they were going to go and, like, you know, right. post up. And I remember I got a phone call, like, a couple hours later that he had just been shot. Another one of my friends was killed. Uh, like a month later, this is all the summer 2004. You know, summers is when it's like, this is why I keep telling people yeah. during summertime, if you're here, you gotta, you know, watch out. Yeah, man. Like so, local, you... <laughs> so, my best friend at the time, and you know, we're still close, he got shot right in front of Pacifica Elementary. Shit. So, like, oh, if you know yeah. where that's at, like, yeah. he got shot right in front of the school five yeah. times, and the helicopter landed on Pacifica and flew him out. And I remember driving to La Jolla like 12 at night thinking this dude is dead. In my mind, that drive, I'm thinking like, you know, I was the first one to get. It's a long drive too. Man. Yeah, bro. I remember getting to the hospital and just kind of like I saw him and I was like, okay, he's gonna, he's gonna make it. But I remember just preparing myself for him to be dead. And then like a month later, one of our homies did get killed because that that shooting just sparked. Yeah, there's a, there's a yeah, yeah, event yeah, that And so like, my my boy getting shot had nothing to do with my other homie getting killed. But it was just, you know, but it all happened back in the valley. All that was happening. Like, my homie got killed in the valley, too. And so then I had homies get locked up. And then there was people that I knew got killed. I, you know, they, they weren't part of my circle. But it was someone that when you see, you know, you dap it up. up yeah. Right. And all that kind of was just like, I had just got my GED, bro. And all this is playing in my head. And I just knew I had to make some changes, man. And so, like, after that, I started working with kids, like, back in 2004, 2005. And started, you know. I said, I'm going to do something. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, then I decided to go to Maricosa because it was like, then I, re- I really started losing my friends. It got to a point where I almost felt like I was the only one out here. The rest of my homies were locked up. And yeah, <laughs> man, I, I went to Maricosa and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but whatever it is that I'm going to do, I, I want to position myself in life that when my homies come home from prison, they have opportunities. Like that was my mindset then. And um, yeah, man, like that, that, that that's pretty much sparked Everything, everything and i never would have imagined like being doing doing the stuff that i'm doing now i never even thought about like the next generation like the bruces of the mm-hmm. world right like kids, <laughs> the kids that live here all the kids that i've been in front of i never thought about them i was just thinking about my homies at that that's what motivated me to mm-hmm. like inspire me to go um and then but sometimes you also realize man the people closest to you are also the hardest ones to inspire at times right yeah. right and so it was like i didn't know that there was whole other generation that like man, they can use our guidance, just someone older who's experienced it to say like, man, I understand what you're going through and I'm not judging you. Like, I get it. I'm just going to hopefully present you with different options and hopefully one of these options will stick and, and they'll be able to provide you a little bit more of a, a better quality of life versus this option. And But I, I don't judge what you're doing because I get it. You know what I mean? And it's like, if yeah. you put any of us in those situations, like... Sometimes, yeah, if you're, yeah. If you're raised in that neighborhood, that's just what you're around. You right, can't, right. It's hard to get out of it sometimes, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, it's like not not necessarily that like you know, like 
the parents usually aren't there because you know they're working they're right. providing and that leaves like a like a space you know that people mistake you know like a, a gang or something yeah. they mistake it like they fill that hole of, i guess loneliness you know yeah. like um I think yeah. a lot of it is rooted in trauma, man. It's rooted in trauma and poverty. You know, yeah. there's like, I always tell people, excuse me, I always tell people, like, I look at gangs like uh, like when you have a leak, you know what I mean? And it creates a mold. And so, I, you know, for me, it's like we always have to figure out about the root causes because if there's a leak in this building right here and you you see the mold, you, you'll clean off the mold. You can clean it off with the wet rag, but that mold's going to come back because there's a leak. You know, unless you fix that leak, you got to fix the leak, right? And so that's what I always in, in, in regards, yeah, just like his dad, landscaping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but, but man, when, when you look at like not to talk too much about gangs, but like when you talk about gangs, gangs are are a symptom of that leak, right? Like if you go to Carlsbad, La Jolla, La Casa, you don't see gangs out there, yeah. right? Because poverty is not the same way, the trauma is not the same way, and so that's not an issue there. But if you go into neighborhoods like the Valley, like, you know, Libby and the East Side and, and Center and Tri-City, mm-hmm. there's leaks there. And if we don't focus on the leaks, well, you know, there's going to be crime. There's going to be gangs. Um, but that's based off of the poverty and the trauma. It's not based off of like, oh, these people are bad. It's just like, man, that's that's you live in that neighborhood. And these are the options that are being presented. But this is what the leak has created, you know. Speaking of leaks, I mean, when you started in like '04, then till now, obviously Oceanside has changed as a city. Uh, it was really bad yeah. in gangs. I grew up here too right. and stuff. Went to Jefferson. So, what what do you think is uh the big change from then till now about the city with the gang with the gang situation the in general? Gang, I it, it changes, bro. It, it looks it looks different now than it did when we were kids. You know what I mean? When we That's were growing up, yeah, it's, it's different. Yeah. It's different. You knew a gangster when you see yeah, him back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a lot different. I think the uniform was different, right? um cortez's chucks yeah yeah i i mean yeah the culture has changed but the work that i do i'm always in it so like i sometimes it's hard it's almost like somebody that's working out and they're like man i don't see the change right because they're seeing themselves every day because i'm in it it's just i've seen the actual different i've seen the transition even from even from his era like when he was coming up in high school to where it is now or when i was i've seen the i've seen the changes but I, I think that it, it shifted in, in a way that um, you have, I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. We see usually most of the gangs in Oceanside were either along the 76 Mission Avenue um, or College Boulevard, like the Tri-City area, right? Uh, because of the the development and the gentrification that's taking place down by the coast and how expensive it is to live in Oceanside, one of the biggest things that I've seen is that you're having more people that historically would be in the neighborhoods near the coast are now, down are now the in the valley, right? And so you'll hear about like, oh, this popped off at the 7-Eleven, <clears throat> right? The 7-Eleven by Popeye's. And you'll hear like, oh, this incident popped off between between these two neighborhoods. And these two neighborhoods are neighborhoods that would either been down by the beach or like- Way away from each way other. Way from, not, they're not valley neighborhoods. They're not traditional valley right. gangs, but they're not having incidents down there. Because they're being pushed. people are being pushed, right? And so that's one of the biggest things that I've seen, man, is that you have um, everyone's being pushed to the Valley or Tri-City if you want to stay in Oceanside. If you want to stay in Oceanside, that's where everyone's being pushed to. Cheaper, poverty Right, area. or Vistas, you know, Vista and Escondido. <laughs> I'm saying you skip San Marcos because San Marcos is also getting expensive because mm-hmm. they're developing that city around the universities, yeah. right? Which yeah. is smart. E- economically, yeah. it's smart. They developed it around Palomar and Cal, State, Cal State, you know, and so... But here, that's that's a big shift, bro, that you see that it's like there's certain hats 
or certain attire that I wasn't used to seeing in the Valley in Tri-City back in the days when we were growing up. You would only see that down by the beach. Right. Now you're seeing it down there and it's just like they live down there, you know. And so one of the things that I try to like, I'm always focusing on like solutions and being preventative and proactive. I'm like, how can we bring resources down to the Valley in Tri-City if we know that this is going to happen 10 years from now? That I mean, if we've seen what's happened by the beach, right? The development's only going to continue. So it's like, how do we prepare the, those areas of the city that are not going to get gentrified, that are going to be out of sight, out of mind, like pushed to the back? Mm-hmm. How do we start preparing those communities to build those communities up? Once it starts to get to them to get developed. Right, right. And so it's like, for me, it's like, how can we get job training programs out there? How can we get higher education programs? How can we get more uh, youth development programs? Um, how can we bring more resources to those areas? Because no one wants to stay in poverty, yeah. right? So how can we develop the residents? How can we provide more <laughs> options? So we can get them connected to Maricosa, so we can get can get them connected to job training programs to get them out of poverty. Right. And so like and also, how can we bring more jobs to the city that will not be like hotel level jobs? Right. Because it's like the development that's taking place. They keep saying, oh, it's for tourism is for tourism. But like for the folks that work here, bro, you're making minimum wage working there. I mean, growing up here, I mean, they, they filmed Bring It On at the show. Right, you know, right, right. They had the uh, Triple Crown X Games here. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. the fair every year. Right, I thought that's for the community. That was dope. Yeah, that was yeah, dope. I, mean, I still remember that. Yeah, that yeah, was there. Yeah, I remember I recently that. they started doing that World Race track yeah, thing yeah, right yeah. here. Yeah, I remember that. But the, but what he's saying is like those were for the community. The community, right? Yeah. We we would all go there that's to those where events. I learned, that's where I learned about rock. Man, that shit's crazy. Right? Yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. <laughs> all but, those events were sick back oh four oh three. Yeah, yeah. I still remember in middle school going to all those, bro. Yeah. I, you know, I. But yeah, that, that's like for me, I'm always like, how can we bring in jobs that are, that are going to give people opportunities to earn a livable wage where they can buy a home here, where they can stay here, right? Not like, okay, you bring in in hotels, that might bring in hotel jobs, but I got to work two of those yeah, to live here. You know what I mean? It's almost like- And it's seasonal. Right, man. And so like for, for me, it's like, how do we look at all that stuff? Because what's going to happen is you're going to have those hotels, people from the Valley are going to work at those, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're going to have to work at two of them so they can- pay crazy amount of rent somewhere in the valley and then they're going to go back to the valley and things aren't going to change you know and so like i think when you talk about the gangs i always bring it back to the neighborhood and the poverty and like the lack of resources because like i said you go bro like it's crazy like if if we just go to the next city over if we go down el camino real like we know you know when you enter carlsbad yeah you know what i mean <laughs> it's, it's like you know when you enter carlsbad the roads are smoother right <laughs> and you know you're not encountering the same things that you encounter here and a lot of that goes back to the fact that like there's options there there there's there i mean obviously the poverty there's there's very low no poverty in carlsbad right so you're not going to have the gang stuff and all of that the solution for me is not oh, let's raise the rent and let's push everyone out because that doesn't solve any problems. Now you're just, you're not focusing on the person no more because now you're just moving this the person. Pro- you're from, moving the problem. You're moving the problem, right? And so that problem now becomes Vista's problem or becomes Escondido's problem or Riverside's problem, Menifee's, Paris, Moreno um, Valley's problem. That's not the solution. The solution is how can we develop the communities, the locals to you know give them more options. Same thing we do in the after school programs. How can we apply that same model to to the community right well they're doing uh in la the governor is holding them accountable i think they have like a certain timeline to where they got to figure out their homeless problem you know and i don't know what their solution is you know like like that temporary solution they did with us with those hotels that didn't do nothing yeah i think part of that too man it's not fair for oceanside to bear the burden of all of it right and so like and that's i think someone has to step in that has the the power to influence carlsbad and sanitas 
Del Mar, La Jolla, you know, San Clemente, San Juan Capistrano, Laguna, Newport Beach. Because, bro, like, let's be real. There's no area down the coast like Ocean Sides, right? No. Until you get to PB, maybe. You got to yeah. get to PB or Ocean Beach to see another something that resembles Ocean Side, right? And going north, I don't know, maybe Huntington, yeah. maybe even past Huntington, right? All you have all these beach communities that that are not taking the not taking the responsibility of also saying, okay, we're gonna. It's almost how it would have to fall on the state to come in and say, look, all you guys have to bear some of it because it's all being centered in Oceanside. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference between Oceanside and Del Mar? They got good weather. They got a beach. They can, you know what I mean? And so like, for me, it's like, but because all the resources are here, um, it, it gets all concentrated in one space and it, it's not possible for one city to, to solve that. Right. Mm-hmm. But if Del Mar stepped in and Encinitas and San Clemente and they said, okay, we're going to have resources here for the homeless as well, because, and I say those cities because there's the sprinter, I mean, not the sprinter, the Amtrak mm-hmm. goes through all those cities, right? Yep. Stop at all it them, stops man. at all of them. So if everyone, if every city has a, has a little bit of resources, then you, you don't have Oceanside, you know, taking it all on because you're not going to be able to solve that problem. It's not possible. So resources wise, what are you talking about? Like just campsites or? I think, what I mean, I don't want to speak too much into it because I'm not well versed as much as like, you know, people that spend a lot of time researching it. But from like the outside looking in, I know that Oceanside has a lot of the resources in regards to like food insecurities, um, you know, just providing different resources like vouchers and stuff like that. The welfare office, right, right. people. But it's like, we need to spread that out. You know, and if you spread it out, then I think you, you we can talk more about um, having, you know, how can we develop permanent residency? I mean, how can Address we get what's wrong? Yeah, right, right. How can we get people into homes? How can we get people to uh, be sustainable? Right, right. Because then it becomes like the problem. I don't want to call it the problem, but the uh, the population of people that need services is not as it, it becomes more manageable, right? But if it's just all concentrated in one area, bro, how can one city possibly solve that? I mean, yeah, when when we all met at the lived experiences, yeah. you guys had the interview with uh, Oscarine, yeah. you know, George Jordan Verdine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you guys were saying, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, it's kind of hard to like nitpick yeah. what's right and what's wrong. You know, they know they need the clothes, right? But some of them need ID to get a job. Some you of know? it's just basic stuff, bro. And, and they that's don't why have like, an address to get their ID. Right. You know, it's just such a process, even to get to square one. Yeah, you know, they make it so hard. And right, being yeah. homeless, it doesn't make it easier. Right. Yeah, I remember Oscarine was telling about that. Is like, man, some of these people, they just need some sleep. Yeah, you know, they just need some sleep and they'll be, you know, sleep in some shower. And, and that was powerful, man, to hear because sometimes people come with these complex like solutions, and and it's simple, man. Like a lot of it, especially hearing from Jordan, who who's like so proximate just to the be issue, treated like humans, right? <laughs> he was like, bro, like when I interview these people, a lot of them just say, I just need a shower, man, because I need, I just now I can like refocus, I don't feel, I don't right, feel good. right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, like a meant like a like a physical huge, cleanse, you man. know, it's just like huge, right. man. And so like, but yeah, man, I, I think that. Um, the state would have to step in and start forcing Del Mar and Sanitas, all these coastal cities to start providing resources or to spread them out. The problem is that a lot of people in those cities are obviously, you know, millionaires and very influential. They don't, they want, don't, want, it. They don't want it. But that's why I think the state ha- would have to step in and say, no, they're, you guys are going to have to. Look at Ocean Beach. They, they just tolerate the homeless. I don't right. even know if they have any resources, right. really. But they have a, a big homeless, you know, community. But why, too. though, bro? They they, ha- they have them in Ocean Beach, but all of a sudden, like, homeless people don't like Del Mar. They don't like Encinitas. Yeah, right. right? Because it goes from, it goes from <clears throat> literally Oceanside to Ocean Beach or PB. Mm-hmm. But yeah. these other beaches don't really have a huge homeless. What is that? Like. 
No, nah, man, like it's nice in Del Mar. It's nice in Encinitas. But... And, and of course, right, right, right. She was like, man, it's, it might be even nice. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and, and so it, it goes it goes back to like, I think the state would have to step in <clears throat> and, and say, no, San Clemente. Not just, no, I'm not just talking about San Diego County. I'm talking about like Newport. Yeah, right. all coastal, man. Like then now it becomes if, like it's, it becomes more manageable. And this, right. this is just a wild you know, theory of everybody. What if they like, like one of these abandoned like prisons or whatever, like jails, what if they made that into kind of like a rehabilitation, like, program you know yeah yeah i i think that man like we're like education get off drugs whatever it is you know help help you with like getting your id and your social security card whatever your birth certificate and i know that may seem simple for a lot of people man but like practical like from a from a mentor standpoint working with youth that kids that live in the neighborhood see how hard it is oh like we that if people ask us like man how do you how do you, how do you guys uh, like do what you guys do it's like we don't complicate things like we just listen so if this kid kid needs help getting a driver's license i'm gonna go with them to the dmv i'm gonna sit there and have them take a couple practice exams i'm not gonna leave them Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be there with them yeah no like good good luck there it is right right i'll be right there with even like college enrollment they're like man how do you guys have such high college enrollment it's like we sit with them and do their application and then we do their fafsa and then we take them to maricosa or palomar or whatever and we walk them through the process because yeah, it's no. like we do, we're helping them with practical assistance. You just, you just need like, some guidance. Even that's if you're it, not bro. from a troubled childhood, that's tough to do. Like right, picking right. your courses for college, like like you said, you don't even know what you wanted to do. No, right. it's you true, man. Like I felt the same way. Like I didn't finish college, but I remember signing up and enrolling. I was like, damn, well, it's what like do defeating. I want to do? Like yeah. you <laughs> it's, never it's, really thought. It's about like it. it's like people tell you to go, but they're like, all right, well, but why? How the fuck do I do this? And that's why I say for our communities, man, it's like. A lot of times we're the first, you know what I mean? I remember I was in a conversation. Um, I was with the school district and we were visiting a, a local corporation about touring the facility because uh, they were going to, you know, they wanted to bring interns or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the people that was sitting with us trying to like uh, create the schedule for it. You know, she, she, she wasn't from Oceanside. She worked the corporations here in Oceanside, but she worked, I think she was like in Carlsbad or like one of the, one of the coastal cities. And I remember she was like, well, that wouldn't be a good time because by that time, all the kids are getting ready to go to college. And then I was like, no, we're talking about Oceanside Unified School District. Yeah, like, no one's going go away. Right. Yeah. And then and she was like, no. I th-. And I was like, and we had one someone from the school district. And I was like, what's the what percentage of kids here go away for college? And it was like 14, 15. You know, it was low. You know what I mean? It was a low percent. And so and I was saying that from experience because I used to work at Maricosa and I was a student ambassador. So it was my job to go to the high schools and try to encourage and motivate kids that they so can go long, to Maricosa. Yeah. That to, I would have to go, I would go to high schools and try to inspire someone that they go. To. So I was at El Camino mm-hmm. and I was trying to inspire kids to go to Maricosa, which is only like three miles away. Right. And I was, and the kids that would come and see me already had 3.0s, 3.5s. And I, I was trying to inspire them that to, to still go, go to go. Right. Man. And so I say that like, that's those, those are some <laughs> of the realities of the city because you know, a lot of a lot of people are living in poverty, and so you know, you might have to work. You know, was, was there is there like a certain way, uh, like a certain certain way or format that you were try to inspire these kids, or would it vary from like place to place? Yeah, I think it, it varies on the individual. You, I, I think for me, it's like one of the things that I've learned over time is that there's no one way to do things, mm-hmm. and there's also no like um, one way to pursue a dream. Right. So now, like, I, I try to champion whatever it is the youth wants to do. They might not want to go to college. Right. So whatever it is that they want to do, I just want to champion that and then show them the skills, what it takes to be successful, which you can apply to any anything. Right. And right. so I think that's what I try to do now. Um, but it varies based on, like, if we have a kid that lives, you know, he 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 lives in an apartment 
and there's like six people in the apartment, seven people in the apartment. He stays in in the living room and, you know, he's in the middle of the hood. A lot of it is like, okay, economic, like, man, like there's financial aid here. I can get you a job on campus. Um, you know, depending on what it is that, that they want to do. And, and, you, and you have other kids, man, who are like, who know exactly what it is that they want to do. And so what they need help with is just being guided through the process. The resource. Right. And so I'll go with them to the financial aid office. I'll go, I'll help them apply. I'll go through the whole process and then connect them to people that I know that they'll be able to like, you know, lean on while they're there. Right. Um, and, but either way, like you can have a kid that has like, knows exactly what they want to do and they still need that assistance because most likely they're the first in their family to do it. And so, I mean, at least the population that I work with, right. most of them are the first. And so it, it just varies from person to person because what inspired me might be different from what, it, what inspired you. me was different what inspired my brother and my sister right and yeah. so it's like i think i think it's different for for everyone yeah so besides that uh, besides the bruce banner over here what, yeah. what's uh what's your biggest success story like what, what's one kid that's always going to be a, a lasting memory for you i think man i can't say one bro I, like i, I literally i, I can't <laughs> he's gonna make them all jealous bro. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? they're no, all listening now no, bro but like you know i had one of my mentors told me one time he was like, look, man, he was like, at the end of the day, what most of what, what most of the kids that you're mentoring probably are looking for is like for peace, uh, stability, to be happy, you know, maybe have a family or just to be secure. You know what I mean? Like, that's what they're they're longing for. And, and maybe I, even like a father figure. Right. Right. And I remember he told me he was like, if you had one of your kids who became a, a Fortune 500 CEO, but was a horrible father, would you be proud of him? And that had me thinking, right? I was like, like, you know, at the end of the day, I think what I I, I want to inspire um, the community and the people that I, the kids that I work with is just to like, one, you know, dream big and pursue their dreams, mm -hmm. but two, to make sure that they always pour back into others and, and keep that model going and, you know, starting with their family. You know, and that's something I always pour into the kids as far as inspiration. It's like, especially a lot of the kids that I worked with come are immigrant, you know, come our first generation Mexican-American kids. And a lot of the times it's like, man, I see their parents. I see how hard they're working. And it's like your parents sacrifice so much. Like you need to put that same level of work ethic into whatever it is that you want right. to do. Because if, if you're telling me you want to do music, if you tell me you want to do art, if you're telling me you want to be a chef, if you're telling me you want to be a mechanic, if you're telling me you want to be a doctor, whatever, like just like you see their work ethic. So whatever it is that you're trying to do, you need to model that work ethic into what you're trying to do. If you're not working as hard as your parents, then like you need to step up your game. You know what I mean? That's something right. that I would try to like encourage, encourage them. But I think, man, as far as like, I, I can't, I can't say like one kid, man, but I am like so, so many of my, of my mentees are out here killing it, bro. And like, they inspire me to this day. And I, 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 yeah, bro. Like seeing Bruce out here doing the show. Um, I mean, I see other cats too. You know, like Car thing. like Carlos. Yeah, yeah. In high row. Yeah, they, and them. You know that old group. Yeah, <laughs> even like one person. Give a shout out, man. Like to the brain, Marcelo. Like that was one of my mentees. Like I've known him. Like he wasn't like a direct mentee, but like he kicked it with all of my, all of my uh, students. So he was part of that era too. And I remember just seeing him skating down the street when he was like fifteen, and now like seeing what he's doing with like content creation and what he's doing with the camera is super dope. Um, yeah. I had, I had another one that I saw today. Um, I was watching one of her videos. She became like, she's like becoming a, an emerging big time DJ. Her name's uh, DJ inspire. And I knew her when she was like 11 and 12 
And now like, she's like, you know, she's blowing up. And when I see that, I'm like, bro, like that's, that's crazy. Right. But then, but then I got other mentees, bro, who are just like wonderful parents, you know what I mean? Who have like had babies at an early age. They didn't expect to have babies, but like stepped up, like got out of their, got out of that living room situation, got themselves their own apartment. And it like have been like rock solid, like dads, rock solid moms and seeing like them do family things like, bro, like that to me is like, I don't know if I had anything to do with like that. But when you say like, I love seeing that, you know what I mean? One of the things that I love seeing too, bro, like when we were in all the programs that I've ever been a part of, I've always tried to expose youth to more. Mm -hmm. So like the world bigger than Oceanside, right? So like, Like, you know, just going to L.A., going to San Diego or doing things that we've never done before that we didn't like, grow there's doing. There's more than that block. There's right, more right. That. So, like, taking the kids kayaking, hiking, or even hitting up Roscoe's, you know what I mean, in L.A. Or just taking them out of their environment, right? And then later on, watching them on social media, going back to those places that we used to go to. And a lot of times, bro, it was my first time, too. So, like, if I'm hitting, like, this hiking thing or if I'm doing this thing with them, a lot of times we were experiencing it together. Like, I remember we took the kids snowboarding before. I had never been snowboarding. So you know what I mean? So it was like, it was, it was like my first time with them it, and everyone was there and like, it was hot, bro. Like it was artificial snow. And okay. I remember all the kids had dicky shorts on. Like we actually had snow. <laughs> that, that, that was our iteration. We actually got like snowboarding gear for them. And then when we got there, the kids were like, bro, it's hot. They were snowboarding in dicky shorts, high socks. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And none of them have snowboarded, bro. But like within 15 minutes, these dudes are going down, like killing it, killing it. Right. Cause they skate everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they're used to skating down uh, College Boulevard, coming down past uh, <laughs> yeah. Mesa Drive. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Hell, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, um, but no, man, like, I love seeing that. Seeing, like, mm-hmm. my former students, like, on field, like, not field trips, but the field trips that we used to go on and doing it with their kids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's dope, bro. But I do life with a lot of my kids, bro. Like, when I, um, you know, when I went to grad school and I graduated, a lot of my students came. Like, we, they were the deepest and my and my and then like afterwards like we had a, a celebration party in my parents house they kicked it with me until like two three in the morning like we do graduations together like we we do life together and i think that's one of the things i'm like the most proud of is the relationships but yeah man we've 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 gone through a lot man we've like i, I can't say it's one thing like i had one of my students hit me up on sunday um and say hey bro i need you to rsvp because he's getting married and he was like don't forget to rsvp and I remember I just sent it back. I RSVP'd online. I was like, it's done. But like to just be like, that's cool. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, that was super dope. Um, so yeah, I can't even say it's one, bro. It's just like, it's a whole number, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I just shout out those two because they're in the industry. You know what I mean? They're right. like, yeah, they're in the industry. But like, um, yeah, man. It's just, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot, bro. Yeah, there's a and lot. there's always new, right? You're always yeah. still. Yeah, bro. Yeah. So still like I, the program that I work with right now that we helped launch in 2018, is called Resilience. And it's a program that, that um, was launched in Oceanside to serve youth in Oceanside that are on juvenile probation um, that are either gang documented or have been on probation for quite a long time. So th- they're considered like um, high risk to reoffend. And mm-hmm. that means that they just keep violating and they haven't gotten off probation. They've mm-hmm. been on probation for quite some time. And then bound to upgrade into like the big boy system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, like, I remember that it's hard to get outside. Yeah. It's hard to get off. Probation. It's hard to get out of that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah I remember yeah. I went, uh, I got drunk one time, you know, as a youngster and I tried to get some beer after hours at a seven 11, I had a pocket knife on me. So, oh, so they long it. story short. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, I, I got charged with armed robbery. So the beer coolers were locked. So I didn't even take anything. 
but they charged me with armed robbery. I was facing two strikes to life as a juvenile for a beer run. For a beer run, yeah. and it's and literally they wanted to, they really didn't want to look at my case because of the neighborhood I was from. Right, like, right. Oh, you're a gangster, right, whatever. Right, right. I'm like, whoa, this is my right. first offense. Like, <laughs> yeah. even my public defender's like, well, you might as well plead guilty. I'm like, I need a new public defender. And it was crazy how they just want to they want to bring you down. They don't yeah. want to give you a way to get out of it. And and I think that's one of the things that resilience has been able to do, man, because we get to go, we get to get everyone on the team's a former two striker, former gang member from Oceanside, um, and we get to participate in the court hearings of all the youth to advocate for them. We get to, uh, we have professional visits into the juvenile halls. So like we had a mentor today that was there all day today visiting kids um, in, in juvenile halls. So, but I think about when we're in that lobby in the, in the, and I remember being there as a youth, you know, being um, in, in Kearney, cause that's where the juvenile court is in Kearney Mesa. And I remember being there and having to go in there with my mom and just pleading guilty. You know what I mean? Like whatever, yeah. like he didn't know any, any better, but I being there with our youth and going into court with them, we get the opportunity to speak up so we can explain and they'll listen to you and, and they listen. Oh, and so like, yeah. I think about all the kids that like, when you're in there, you're like, damn, man, you think about all the kids in there that are not going in there with someone advocating for them. know what to do. Yeah. And I remember we had a, a youth uh, one time, man, that was like that they, he was going to get violated because he hadn't been attending school. And, but the reason he wasn't attending school is because the court or his probation officer ordered him to attend a specific school. Well, this kid lives in, in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. His family's from this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He's like, in the other neighborhood. Yeah, and he's like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to that school. Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to get beat up. I'm he said, violate me. Yeah. Send me a juvie. Like, but I'm not going to survive going to that school. And he was and he was from the neighborhood he was from. You know what I mean? So, And I think for us, we had to explain to the judge, like, your honor, he's not. it's not that he doesn't want to go to school. He's fearful of his right, safety. Right, right. They're basically, not, he's being set up to fail. Right. We yeah. said when, not, when they should know better. We just told him it's, like, it's not safe for him to go to that school. It risk you're risking his safety yeah. to go there. And that's the reality of that people don't know. And that's cool you get to speak up because right. judges they're open and they don't really know that right, about right. certain neighborhoods. You and know? so it was a simple solution. They just changed the school that he had to go to, and that yeah. wasn't an issue anymore. You know what I mean? But, but you, if he spoke up for himself, they wouldn't even give but him But no he mind. chances was he wasn't going to, right? And yeah. so I that's one of the things that I appreciate about this. But also we're just doing life with these kids, bro. So like it's just being someone that they can lean on that is solid. And, and that's what we're providing. Because so if they do, unfortunately, get in car, so you'll go visit them. Yeah, bro. Be that yeah, we, we, always, we always do, you know. And, um, you know, our goal with them is that hopefully that they don't have to see county or that they don't hit prison. Um, some do, you know, because we understand that, you know what I mean? But we still try to advocate for them, write for them, help them throughout that process. Because we have, we've, had, we've had youth that have violated uh, or picked up new charges as adults. And yeah, man, like usually the deal that they're trying to give them is BS right? and stuff. Like you said, beer run, they got knife, whatever, arm robbery. Right. And, it and it's extent, like, yeah. and I was like, man, if this kid lived in Encinitas, this would just be a beer a run. slap on the wrist. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, but because of he lives here, whatever. Um, now you want to, or the hat he was wearing when he did it. Now you want to give him a gang enhancement 10 plus years. Right. And so like for us being able to step in and advocate for that um, youth, you know, that, that those are the things that we, that we try to do, man. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's crazy, bro, because like four years ago, after I left Reach, I was like, okay, as far as like working with youth, I'm probably going to step away and focus more like on policies and mm-hmm. and law. Um, but it seems like it always somehow I always next thing you know, like, bro, I'm I'm, I'm mentoring again because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's my heart, you know. And and I think also you you see, like, I remember just trying to navigate this city. And having like my older brother and my cousins and older kids in my neighborhood, like being my role models 
and they're only like three years older, but they're teaching yeah. me about life. You know what I mean? It's like they don't know. Like, yeah. but yeah. they're just teaching me from what they think is like, you know what I mean? I remember I, I shared this the other day, but I was like, I remember my first day going into middle school. The day before, my brother was cutting my hair and he was like, Yeah, bro, I just want to let you know. <laughs> I'll never forget this, bro. He was just like, Yeah, tomorrow when you go to school, um, you know, so and so kicks it on that side of the school, so and so kicks it on that side <laughs> of the school. So you're gonna have to hang out on that side of the school. Um, that's just and I was like, What? And he was like, Yeah, that's just how it is. Yeah. And I remember going to sleep that night, like, what the hell? But and then you get there and you see it, right? And then you, you know, you you end up navigating through that, you know, it is what it is, but um, <laughs> yeah i just remember that bro you know what yeah, i mean that's crazy and yeah like being 16 your outlook on life being 21 your outlook on life and now yeah. being 35 like it always changes it changes bro and changes and so like we you know we just try to be a support system mm-hmm. um and you know what we've seen from from the youth bro like that's why i always go back to trauma and poverty because I, i'm in those spaces uh, of of youth who you know are um who have different relationships with different neighborhoods and stuff mm-hmm. and at the end of the day now seeing how it's played out in my family's life, how it's played out in my life, how it's played out in my friend's life. You've seen the cycles and the cycle is similar. Right. And so for me, it always goes back to like, okay, man, what, what trauma has this kid experienced? What, what's, what's the, you know, the, the poverty look like, what does the family structure look like? And it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. Cause then you're like, man, like I get it. You've lost three homies. I'd be pissed too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you I, live on the couch. I get it. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's like, why are you hustling? Like you live on the couch. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Like your whole closet is right next to the couch. Yeah. So like, yeah, bro, it's your whole life. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so like, but even like his generation, man, the kids that we were mentoring when he was coming to the program, like five of them have passed away. You Damn. know what I mean? That was only like four years ago. Yep tragic all tragic like violent do they leave the gang life or it was because of the gang life some of them weren't some... even even living in the gang yeah. life they were just at, kids in the neighborhood and, yeah they were just at the wrong Damn. place the wrong time a lot know? of them were most of them were most of them are that Mo- most of most of the yeah. kids it could have been bruce you know what i mean most of the kids um that were lost during that time weren't gang affiliated bro. they're just stuck in that it's, it's city. crazy it's like you said earlier man sometimes just like going to say what's up to someone and, and in that moment around, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. I remember this one time when I was younger. I was like five, ten minutes away from when it happened. And uh, if I, I don't I remember exactly, this was like ten years ago, easily. But you know, if, if it would have been, if I would have been there instead of at the beach, I would have said what's up to them. And it could have been just in that moment, right. you know. Like I didn't really like mess around like with the gang life, but you know, that said what's up to them because it's it's where you live. You yeah, know? And, and those experiences are normal. I think we've all had those, like, dang, five minutes sooner, five minutes later, I could have got locked up or yeah, I could have, like, shot, yeah. I could have got shot or, like, but it's just, like, you don't see it like that. A lot of times you're just navigating, like, this is my, this is where I live. These are my homies. Like, a lot of times, bro, too, like, at the program, we had kids that were gang affiliated and we had kids that had 4.0s. Everyone got mm-hmm. along. They were all homies. That was, you know the whole point of the, that was the whole point of the reach program. You yeah. come there like to do the school, come and kick in, like vibe out, you know, like, yeah, man, everyone you try to homies. escape a little bit. Yeah. But even the kids that were like, quote unquote, active, they were homies with the kids that have 4.0s. They all grew mm-hmm. up together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was just different choices. It was, were being the, it was the sanctuary where they can be cool with each right, other still. Right. Right. Know? And so I, but I, I say that, that it's like, man, we had I had multiple kids that you would have never thought that would have got put on. Right. But when those murders take place, you saw kids like put the skateboard down or put the soccer ball down or or they were like not knowing how to like deal with the the pain and trauma and just being like, okay, like I'm pissed off. And little by little go into a dark hole. Right. And 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 go into that. And so you (laughs) but you see that take place. That's why I say like when there's a shooting, 
summer kicks off because mm-hmm. you have ki- it activates kids because yeah. there's kids, the kids that weren't even school right but what i'm saying like if a shooting happens in a neighborhood and this kid wasn't gang involved but it was everybody's homie mm-hmm. well now all these kids are dealing with that pain and if the family structure is not there to acknowledge it then now you have a kid that's you know internalizing all this trauma and you're telling me there's an option here that can help me release this trauma which can be the neighborhood right now this kid you have a kid that was a soccer player now he's over here pushing the line wearing colors but you know he's lost two homies and he's been banged on himself because chances are if you live in a specific neighborhood even if you're gang affiliate or not you've been asked where you're from by someone you know what i mean and you can only you can only have mm -hmm. you can only answer that question so many times before eventually you're kind of like you start feeling like where you from yeah yeah yeah. or if i'm gonna get banged on like i need to be from somewhere right and so it's like it's like if the wound don't like don't get intended, it's just gonna get more deeper and more bigger. Right, it's just gonna mm-hmm. get infected. It's just, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's what we try to do as as mentors, and I think all mentors is kind of try to be that bridge and just help someone release that. And and I I always tell kids, man, like man, if you can just survive this time right now, because you're 16, even if you have bees, if you can survive these few years, most of these people are gonna get locked up, and a new generation is gonna start, and the new generations don't even know who you are. The mm-hmm. new generation right now is in eighth grade, seventh grade, mm-hmm. and you're 18 or, you know, that new generation is going to look at you like a dinosaur. So yeah, it's you, not like all my missions are like from the stories are going to be like, you know, right. ain't no one going to know about so it. I'm almost <laughs> like, and, and I guess yeah, I, that place isn't even there anymore. Right? <laughs> and so like, you know, just trying to have them like, I need, I'm going to be, if you can just survive these few years right now, like, trust me, like, the same people you have issues with, you're not going to have issues with most likely depending on how far you want to take this. Really? Cause if you take this and you, those issues will follow you uh, for, you know, quite some time, but it's hard, bro. Like I know other people can look at it and be like, well, how come that family just doesn't move? It's like, have you ever tried to been approved some places and shit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably working paycheck uh, and, paycheck. and if you're living in the hoods of Oceanside, bro, you're going to, ha- you're going to be living in the hoods of wherever else you go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like that, it's like goes back. You're not bringing solutions. Cause now you're just moving the problem to somebody, to another city. And, that, and you know, for me, it's like, that doesn't help anything. Like that's still like, you know, it's uh, that, that you're not solving anything, you know? So yeah, man. Interesting. Well, let's, let's move from that a little bit. I want to know more about the Oceanside Justice Coalition, man. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, man. So like, um, last year after George Floyd was murdered, um, I started getting uh, numerous calls from different community partners from Oceanside, people from Oceanside that I've known since like the 90s, 2000s, or people that I partner with on numerous different projects, either it'd be mentoring or community event or maybe one specific issue over the years. People are kind of calling like, man, what are we going to do once the protests die out? Because there's a lot of issues when it comes to uh, racial equity and a lot of issues when it comes to social justice in the city of Oceanside, right? We're a diverse community. But our local government hasn't reflected that. You know what I mean? We're, our communities of color, our communities of poverty haven't been represented um, in within city council or within local government or within like school districts and police department, right. like all the institutions that run the city. Right. And so the people that were calling were all people that grew up here who are now like have a certain level of professional influence over the years. You know what I mean? In the city. And we're like, how can we connect? So, we, you know, we, we started reaching out to one another and like, well, let's have a meeting and discuss like what, what we can do. And we were meeting like while the pre- protests were going on, bro. Like we were having meetings in downtown yeah. Oceanside during the protests with different leaders in the city, uh, people that we just we've all had a natural relationship with one another discussing on what we can do. 
And I remember at that meeting, we were like, okay, well, what, what can we focus our energy on right now that we can get a, a win in? And the very first thing was the eight can't wait policies um, that were coming out that every police department should adopt in regards to like de-escalation and reporting um, within the police department. And I remember someone said, well, you know, Oceanside, um, the chief at that time, they said that the Oceanside chief had already released a statement saying that those, uh, uh, the eight can't wait practices had already been adopted by the city. And we were like, okay, that's, that's, that's good. And then someone at the meeting was like, well, have we looked at them? You know what I mean? And I was like, nah, no one's looked at them. And so like, <laughs> no one looked at and so we, 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 you know, that was like the first action item. Okay. So, so we left there and, and myself and uh, professor Talha from uh, Maricosa and um, two attorneys, uh, criminal defense attorneys, public defenders here in North County, mm. uh, John and Alicia Wilsh, um, Oceanside residents, uh, us four took a look at them and immediately we saw like, Oh, they're way off. And so, us four wrote a 14 page analysis, compared the ACAN way to what OPD had, mm -hmm. and then sent it back to OPD and pretty much said, you know, the current this chief, ain't the policy. Right, right. We pretty much said the chief said you guys adopted it, but like here, and we wrote it in a very much uh, in a legal way. Um, mm -hmm. And we sent it back to them. And man, within two weeks, they responded. Um, they did like a press release and said, uh, based on the Oceanside Justice Coalition's analysis, we have now modified these policies. That's awesome. Which was which was amazing for the group to see. Like, no man, when we collectively bring our energy together, um, we can we can it, yeah, we it's can very ignore a group compared to like one person. That's right, right. And and I think everyone within the Oceanside Justice Coalition or who has like a hand in it is also connected to other advocacy groups. So it's not like, oh, we're only part it's like most members, like a lot of members of OSHA Justice Coalition also serve on NAACP or they serve with this advocacy group and that advocacy group. So what what they're bringing in is like four advocacy groups within each person mm -hmm. is bringing in. So it, it's become a network of a lot of um, folks in the city that have influence that want to see racial equity. And because these individuals are who they are professionally and they've established themselves in the city, um, it carries weight. Um, but I think our next step uh, one of the things that we've been big on is district one and district two. So for city council in Oceanside, there's four districts. Yep. Um, district one and district two was something that we advocated for in 2017 um, when they were first trying to create them, because when they were first trying to create them, bro, it was so shady. Um, yeah. How, how was it? How did it look originally? Originally. So the, the, the way that the lines are supposed to be set up, they're supposed to be set up for someone to come in and look at it and be like, okay, these lines are like congruent, meaning that like, they're not crazy looking. It doesn't look like a shoe, right? To like, uh, it's not like a, what is it? Jerry Mandarin, right? They just right. switch the lines They're supposed around. to more look like a block, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's supposed to look like a, a, a shape. They're like, if it starts looking too much, like, like you know what I mean? You can see that there's You're all this, right. right. And when, when, when they were first being created by the first people that were getting involved with it, that's what it looked like. Oh. Right. And so, um, at that time, this is from my perspective, the conservative, um, party here in Oceanside didn't want districts. They wanted to keep it at large, meaning that anyone in the city can vote for anyone in city council. But if you do that, it gets very expensive to run for office. Right. Right now, currently with the districts, it's about $60,000 that you need to raise to be competitive to run for city council. Uh, based on the last mayor election, um, you have to raise over six figures to be, to be competitive, to be competitive. And that's for at large. The mayor's mm -hmm. still at large, right? So imagine how hard was it? Like, so when people say, well, anybody can run, 
Well, no, not anybody can run because not everybody can raise that much money. So what you were seeing was people in office that were from Fire Mountain, Rancho Dolores, Ocean Hills. Right, right. And so we created the districts. Or once, Once it was set, we're creating districts. Then what you started seeing was you were seeing a division between the minority marginalized communities in Oceanside and the affluent like Democratic Party in Oceanside. Like that was the division. Like then it became like, okay, the affluent Democratic or, you know, liberal population Oceanside wanted um, the district to look a certain way, which would promote like, yes, it would probably get a Democrat in office, right? the minority marginalized communities wanted to like promote the the possibility of getting people from Libby Lake and the East side or center street in office. Right. More like people that uh, from would the represent, front. Like, <laughs> right. Right. And so that, that became the battle. And so it was the main, the main issue was there was one map or one, like one, uh, they had different names. Uh, it was called the coastal map and the coastal map was pretty much going to keep the entire coast in one district which is not a bad thing. Like I get that. I get that. Mm -hmm. But it was going to come at the, at the, at the, at the expense expense of splitting up crown Heights and the East side Mm -hmm. from being in the same district. And it was also going to split up the Valley. Okay. So like, for me, it's like, man, I understand that keeping the coast together, but not at the expense of, and the only way that, and the only way they can do it was by splitting up center street from Pozole and, and then it was going to have, it was going to keep the Valley. It was going to keep the East side, with the valley, well, at least the mid valley and the deep, but then it was going to split the deep at gold. So okay. it, mm. gold wasn't going to be a part of everyone from gold was going to be part of now the Rancho de Loro. And that would have been a big issue right there. You get what I'm saying? Right. And so they were, trying, <laughs> so they were trying to split up the deep and they were trying to split. And so I, for me, it's like, you're not going to do it at the expense mm-hmm. because I, what we're, because the way that they were looking at it was, well, they were trying to sell it to us. Well, you'll for sure have one representative. I was like, we have, we can get one now. We need two. Yeah, that's need, not a problem. Because you need, three, <laughs> you need three votes to get anything passed. So I was like, we don't need one. We need we need three. Like, for real. Like, But this will help us, guarantee, not guarantee, because the two representatives we have right now are not a reflection of the community. But, yeah. but it was going to increase the possibility for us to get two, right? And so what we ended up advocating for, and, and this is where um, so Matt Strange became very um, pivotal because... Daniel uh, Jimenez, who's the, the founder, of Matt, well, one of the founders of Matt Strange, him and his brother founded it. Uh, Daniel and I have known each other since 2009. So we went to Maricosta together. We were student ambassadors together. And, you know, me and him, like, you know, we became homies, like, as soon as we met, just based off of, like, him being able to see the different disparities in the city. And he grew up on the east side. And, you know, and, and so for me and him, we were partnering back at Reach. He used to come and do all our videos when we would enter competitions. And this is when he was first, like, um, you know, took out his camera and was learning yeah. how to do all this stuff. And Matt Strange wasn't even a thing yet. So it was just like Daniel understood, like me and him went to Maricosa together. He went to UCLA. I went to Berkeley. And then we both came back to Oceanside at the same time. And so when I took over Reach, Libby Lake, he would come. And uh, I remember he created our first shirts, the Libby Lake shirts. And um, and so when this was happening, I called him up and I was telling him about it. And he immediately was like, well, let's make a video, bro. He said, we'll go into every neighborhood and just interview different people. And so to get the community involved, uh, we made that video, posted online. Ocean, Oceansideism. No, it wasn't was Oceansideism. It was, a, it was, a, yeah, it was. I ad- remember that one. That yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but we did an advocacy video to get people involved to call into city council. And from that video, we generated so much like attention and so much um, support that we showed up to city council deep. 
And, and it just made sense because the whole law, the whole law of the districts was it was based on the Latino Voting Rights Act, which pretty much said that cities that have historically had a diverse community, their city council needs to reflect that. Mm-hmm. And in Oceanside, our city council hasn't been diverse uh, from a historical standpoint. We've had like five, less than five uh, people on the council that are either black or brown within the entire history of the city. Right. And so but the way that they flip it, they'll be like, oh, you've had this person. It's like, man, that's one. Like, what the fuck? Right? And so it's like, <laughs> that's one to like, one, one, you know, one, one every 10 years, right? And so like- Just because his name was Juan. Right, but, but you don't get passed. You don't get anything passed. You need three votes. And so uh, when we created those districts, we created District 1, which was going to be uh, Center Street, Pozole, and Greenbrier, Canyon, the entire community. And it was going to incorporate all the way down to the pier. So like, okay. and then District 2 was going to run from Fusa all the way to the back gate. So you have two districts now that are minority majority districts um, that we're going to increase the possibility to get people from those communities into office. Right um, now, district three that runs from like South O all the way down up the shoehorn of like, you know, Oceanside goes up Lake Boulevard mm-hmm. um, down on the Cannon and Melrose. Like that's still Oceanside. Right. right? And so that the whole, but that I, this whole district map came at the expense of Tri-City being lumped in with Fire Mountain and South right. O, but we, there was not much we can do with it because it was either going to be lumped in with Rancho Del Oro or it was going to be lumped in that district because of where it's located. And so that was the only part for me that was tough. But at the same time, it, this was the only map that was going to give us like- It made sense. It made sense, right? What ended up happening was, which I thought was like, it shouldn't have happened. District four is Rancho Del Oro pretty much. Okay. And it goes over there by Chavez Middle School, that area. I felt like District 3 and District 4 should have gone first in 2018. What happened was District 1 and District 2, we created the maps, and immediately those were the first two districts that were up for election. Mm. So the community wasn't ready. We created them. The community didn't even know about districts. You know what I mean? We created them, and boom, they went up first. And what you ended up having, you ended up having a a council member in District 2 that's not a reflection of the community. He's not Mm -hmm. from here, doesn't understand the community, to represent District 2 out of all districts. And then in District 1, Esther, obviously, she we knew that she was going to get elected. Um, but even now, you have Corey Jensen yeah, in there. Doesn't even live here. Right, and doesn't <laughs> understand the community. And then you have Christopher Rodriguez in District 2, same thing, right? So, like, you have one that supposedly lives on the far edge of District 1, near the beach. Right. And then you have another one who lives on the far edge of District 2, basically bonds up on the hills, hills yep. right? So it's like you have two council members that don't understand What's, issues, what's in between don't understand the leaks in those communities yeah and what they see as a solution is pushing all of them out and bringing new people in that's what they see as a solution but that also goes back to empathy sympathy not understanding right. not caring right Being like and not attached to those communities exactly. the way that we are right and so um coming up in 2022 everything that the ocean justice coalition is advocating for we've kind of got to the realization that everything that we want to see happen can only happen if city council approves it because they're the ones, they're the main decision makers for the, the things that we want mm-hmm. to see be put in place. And the only way this certain, this council is not going to do it. So in or, the only way for us to do that is to take tis, district one and district two. And now we would have the majority. We have a better right. chance. Cause if you get two people in office in 2022, that uh, prioritize racial equity, that understand the issues in our community that are from here, that are from here. Now we don't have to explain to you why this is needed because this is logical and simple. We right. know that this is needed. It's like if you're not, you're not going to understand it if you didn't live it. You know? Right, right. And like, that's why I said it was so big going going to school here versus like saying, "Oh, I've been here for thirty years," but you got here as an adult. 
it's a lot different. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. If you didn't experience like you didn't go to Jefferson, right, like, right, 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 or El Camino, right, right, that so, rivalry, right. But just the fact that like by me going to Lincoln, I had homies that lived on Nevada and Clementine before Nevada and Clement. I remember walking down Nevada and Clementine having to watch my back. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> yeah. different than what it is now. Um, <laughs> and and also going to El Camino and you know kicking it in North Redondo, kicking it on Gold, kicking it on Monica, kicking it on Roja, like just being in those areas, right? And so. If you didn't experience that, if you didn't ride the 303, 313, yeah. 302, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're not going to understand. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the goal is to get people in office that understand our community so we can start working on the next things that we would like to see happen. Because you you understand, you have to understand the hierarchy. You have city council. You need three votes to get anything past right. majority. The city council oversees the city manager. This, okay. And so the city the city council chooses the city manager. The city manager oversees the chief of police, the chief of the fire department. Finances. City, city manager is powerful. Yeah. City manager is very powerful. Who's our city manager right now? Uh, Diana Lorson. Jimmy Figueroa? <laughs> <laughs> and so, Maybe. But, but the city council <laughs> the city council hires her, right? Or whoever's in that position. And how so, do they choose uh, who, they, who gets hired? Well, they go through an interview process. Oh, and, you okay. know, so it's, it, so it's not a vote. It's who they choose. It's who they yeah. choose. Right, right. And so like a job, you that, know? that's why those like positions job. are so important. And so you have to understand who are the decision makers in each in each space. Right. So when we did the eight can't wait, that fell on the chief of police. The majority of the things that we're pushing for now don't fall on the chief. They fall on the city council or city manager. And, and you know, or it's going to fall on the school board or whatever. So it's understanding who who are the, na- the naysayers in, in every space. And it's like, okay, if we don't have representation there, then how do we put ourselves in a position to get representation in those spaces? And so a lot of what we're doing is just understanding those dynamics and how can we impact the election of 2022. Um, but I feel that it's our election to lose because we have the, if, if we get, if we use the different platforms that we have in the community, if we get folks registered, because that's the problem, man. Like, yeah. so in district one, when Esther got elected, I believe she got elected with 4,900 votes. Every district has about 40 to 42,000 people in their district. Okay. So like when they were created, every district needed to have a minimum, uh, a deviation between 39,000 to 42,000 people per district. Right. To keep it kind of even. Right. Right. So you have, let's say 40,000 people in district one and district two each in district one, when Esther, last time that district one was up for election, Esther got elected with 5,400, no, 4,900 votes. That's like 10%. Right. Only, I think, only less than 12,000 people voted, right? Damn. Christopher Rodriguez got elected with 5,400 votes. Only 13,000 people voted, around 13,000 people voted in District 2. So for us, we have the numbers. We have the majority. But they're not Right. So if we get folks registered and give them a reason why to vote, why this matters, because, you know, folks need to have a reason. Right. And especially, you know, when you're a little bit older, you, you, you're a little you get it. You have like a cynical you know, point of view. Right. The right, world. Right. You know, so you're like, oh, why? You know, you have I've heard this a lot from, you know, not just, you know, minorities, but it's like, I feel like my vote doesn't count. Why right. should I go vote? But here it does. You know what I mean? And one thing that I try to like stress or really uh, emphasize, like when it comes to local government, local government can has more control, at least from my perspective, has more control over our daily lives than the governor, than. Uh, the president, because whoever your city council is, they're passing laws and ordinances and policies with that impact our city every Wednesday 
when they meet. The, you mm-hmm. you can't have enough say so. And yeah, uh, you said districts are new to Oceanside. Right, right. I lived in San Diego for a little bit, and that vote for the Chargers, it was only through one district. Uh, I think it was like the the county of San Diego, yeah. which is like Chula Vista in like downtown, which really didn't give a fuck about the Chargers. I mean, Oceanside loved the Chargers. I was in Mission Valley. I lived probably like five minutes away from the stadium. I didn't even get to vote to keep the Chargers in here because it wasn't in my district. So if you guys want to think that districts aren't important, they really are. Your say so matters. Register to vote and definitely vote for your district. So we have so the numbers to, to yeah, actually man. make yeah. it a point. Yeah, because I mean, you got to think about it, man. Christopher Rodriguez got elected with fifty four hundred votes. That's crazy. And there's forty thousand people in that district, and I think there was like there's like thirty thousand people that were of age that could have voted. They didn't, right? Well, you only had thirteen thousand people that voted out of you know what I mean. Out and, of yeah, out of and so 40, going 000. back, your vote counts locally. Um, and I think it's important, man, if we want to see changes in our community, it's going to be dependent on who our city council members are within your district. And I think that's why, like right now, we're trying to stress that. And, that, you know, that's just like voter education and making people more aware of the power that they actually have um, within the city. Yeah. And your city council is going to dictate your city manager. Your city manager is going to dictate your chiefs of police and and all of that, man. Damn, so go out there and vote, yo. Yeah. Seriously, go vote on your you know local government. It's very important. I think we're past this point. Now we're in the between time, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, whenever you re- but, hear this. But, no, but it's hey, coming no, up. It's going to come up quick. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, can always, you can always register, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah always yeah, register. register yeah. So register. Yeah. yeah, they'll probably be making the rounds around here. <laughs> 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 but, uh, hey, what do you guys say? We, uh, we go take a quick break. And yeah, you going to play that, uh, that new uh, song you heard on the radio by Smug Dog? Yeah. I Damage. Right now. The official Damage. video. Yep. Shout out Tim Plies, 91X loudspeaker. Hey, my boy got on the radio. Hey, hey. <laughs> All right, guys, we will be back in a bit. So, uh, yeah. This weed little louder than average. The call piss magic, mind of a savage. I'ma need to know extra baggage. The outlook's lavish. Look at the damage. Damn, damn. Look at the damage. Damn, damn. Look at the damage. This weed little louder than average. Call piss magic, mind of a savage. All about that drunken highness. No cap, I be dripping like vaginas. All facts, I be fitted with the finest. Weed naps, then you sleeping on the diner. Go speed, we can put it all behind us. OG hitting them keys like liners. Calling all riders, making moves with the mileage. Pay your dues in your homies, dash. If I'm creeping in the fast lane, moving past with the mask and some gasoline. Cut the act where you find a scene, brought a magazine. Which way you wanna lean? It's an everyday thing. We can get messy, but we stay clean. Y'all mean? We can get messy, but we clean. Clean where you hating, I'm dominating. Can't a break and I turn the lead sound, but physically a wasteland. This weed little louder than average I call this magic, mind of a savage I'ma need to know extra baggage The outlook's lavish, look at the damage Damn, damn, look at the damage Damn, damn, look at the damage This weed little louder than average I call this magic, mind of a savage Sad, 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 sad. It's a damn shame how the game looking tacky. Checking my day, take you out like last. Cruise around the city with a body in the backseat. If you run it with me, then you know you got a rap sheet. Yeah, I be doing this, freezing the cipher. 
Baby nuts, you just getting out of diapers. Get up on my level with a cat, with a tiger. Through the wire, profiling like I'm violent. I'm lit, coming in like a migrant. Marking on my territory, dog on a hydrant. Smell it to get jealous, I don't even gotta hide it. You know what I'm thinking, my ambitions is a rider. I be looking for the snakes in the grasses. Put your biggest fear of being late with your classes. Fly as a butterfly, sting like cash. Take you to school, attack the teacher with the classes. Living proof on the news, on the loose. Started with basement, now I'm working on the roof. All right, he be cooking. On the stove, in the wise looking no people saw the go. Some stories better left untold. You just don't know. Higher than that mother with the look so cold. This weed little louder. You don't even know, cause I'm so proud, I'm prouder. This weed little louder than average. The call piss magic, mind of a savage. I'ma need to know extra baggage. The outlook's lavish. Look at the damage. Damn, damn, look at the damage. Damn, damn, look at the damage. This we little louder than average to call piss magic, mind of a savage. Las líneas de mis dos pachas en la 
las dos fronteras tienes que meter la riata From society, Tijuana para el mundo Cruzando las raíces para penetrar profundo Estamos en la línea internacional En los tres minutos lo que se puede pasar Podrás llorar, podrás gritar Pero el dinero habla lo que yo quiero saber Estamos en la línea internacional En los tres minutos lo que se puede pasar Podrás llorar, podrás gritar Pero el dinero habla lo que yo quiero saber Estamos en la línea internacional en Tijuana se vive la vida loca donde hay todo marihuana chivatachas rico coca y al ladito de la catedral también vende panocha el peso ya no circula ahora se maneja Man, one of the, one of the uh, one of the examples I use for people all the time why it's so important 
I mean, obviously, when you vote for things in the state, like propositions and all that, and who your governor is, it will impact you. Obviously, we've seen, I was just trying to use that analogy that, like, your mayor and your local superintendent of the school district and school board members and council members, they're they're making laws every Wednesday that impact your city, right? But I remember, man, like, you remember when they changed, you remember back in the days you go to the grocery store and you get the free plastic bags? Yeah. Right? And everyone uses them for their bathrooms or whatever. Yeah, but I'll still, never forget, just man. a bag full of bags. I'll never forget cents. when that, yeah, when that law got passed, the very next day at the grocery store, they were 10 cents immediately. And that just goes back to show you, man, like locally or from a state level, how quick things, things will get, change. things change and why it's so important to vote because the grocery stores already knew that that was going to pass. And also mm-hmm. another district thing, I went to Del Mar when that passed yeah. and uh, I went to go to a 7-Eleven to get, to get a tall boy across the street. There was another liquor store, right? but I went to 7-Eleven at Del Mar and it passed. So it was 10 cents, but they even said, if you go buy a tall boy at that liquor store over there, it's free for a bag. Cause that's a different district. Oh yeah, because they pass. Yeah, and then, but right here it's yeah. ten cents. It's yeah. so crazy. I'm like that. I well, because some cities passed before the state did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so now it's a state law. That's, yeah, yeah, it's a state, it's law, state yeah. law. That shit was I'm crazy. Saying, but I'm saying, yeah, but some cities were passing it before. And so, no, man. But I, 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 I just say that to show like the importance of why it's so important to vote because, you know, when we people get, I mean, it's important. Like, you know, we vote for your president, but they get they focus all their energy on that. Man, like, who's running your city is going to impact like your day to day life more than the president will. And, and I think that's something, man, I remember I shared that with one of my students at Libby, bro. Um, I remember she was t- talking to me about like Trump and all that. And just like pretty much like she was telling me that she was upset about certain things. Right. Yeah. And I remember telling her, I was like, man, how long you lived in Libby for? And she's like my whole life. And I was like, man, how was it, you know, with the previous president? She was like, it was the same. And I was like, how long has your family been here? She's like, they were here before me. I was like, how was it before that president? She was like, it was the same. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why I, I had used that opportunity to kind of just tell her, like, man, like your neighborhood is going to change based on who your city council member is and who your school, you know, the superintendent. You're not saying school, don't vote for president. I'm but, not saying don't vote for president. Educate yourself and vote for locally. Right. And then what I was trying to get to her was like, man, I would love for to see you run for your district to run for it. <laughs> so you can be the council member of your community because you're going to know what needs to change. What, here. Was, what they need. Need. life. And yeah. that was the whole point of the districts, bro. Like going back to that, not, not to spend too much time on it, but it was always not focused on like our generation. It was always like, man, if I can give one of my, my Libby Lake reach students opportunity to, to, run. Be, to run one day and not have to raise six figures, but to run just on the fact that they're from there, man, that's what we're creating it for. Mm-hmm. It's not so much based on like us right now. Right. And right. they don't, they don't even make it easy. We had a uh, Fernando Garcia who's a, uh, uh he was running for mayor for part of the, you know, Fernando was cool. He, yeah, he's he's a good he's a good dude. But he was saying how uh, he didn't have much experience in the UN, and there was like all this paperwork and all these terms that you know they make it difficult for you to right. run. And besides that, like you said, you mm-hmm. have to raise the money. That's uh, the difficult part, bro, because it's like how do you compete? You know, let's say that you're running uh, a race like he did that was completely independent. You know, based on his, uh, you know, his personal. He lost because right? it's a money game. Right. And so yeah. then you're competing against, like, you know, Christopher Rodriguez, Esther Sanchez, you know, who, you know, at that time, Jack Feller. Those were three. Those are three, three incumbents mm-hmm. who are, are backed by different parties, who are backed by different supporters. Sponsors. So now they're raising six figures. You know what I mean? So it's like that's mailers, that's signs. That's like so much exposure because that's what you're paying with your money for your money. You're paying for social media ads. You're using promotion. all this money. Yeah, you're promoting yourself, right? And so, like, if you're running this independently, let's say you're running it with 10 Gs, even that's a lot of money, bro. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you're like if you're running that with 10 Gs and you're competing against six figures, like, man, that's going to be tough for someone. But going back, like, let's say we have someone from the neighborhood who's running, 
and they grew up, let's say we have someone right now, right, that went to uh, Libby Elementary or Del Rio, went to Chavez Middle School, went to El Camino, and oh, has been doing a lot of work in that community. You mean Jimmy Figueroa? <laughs> but, but let's say we have someone from that community that's that's running, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, they, they're not going to need 60,000 because they've established themselves back there. And that. so maybe they can run, we, maybe they can run on 20, 15, right? Based off their relationships. Right. Um, and, and that's what you want. Where now if I'm running on 15, 10, I don't need to appease all these people or entities who gave me money. Now I can run more as an individual. You're not, about you're not bought out. Right. Also mm-hmm. what we were talking about off camera, you're saying like, you know, influencers. Mm-hmm. They have so much, you know, reach and notoriety. They could easily probably win, win, win an election or two. Yeah, bro. I mean, if, if people are getting elected with five thousand votes, hopefully they have the right mindset, though. Right, right, you know, right, 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 win, right. We have a we have a couple comments. Uh, Kathy is saying, "Master gone." Uh, Jerry Ruiz is saying, "Hey, since the main event is there with you guys, I would like to extend the invitation to him for Los Enmascarados show anniversary show here in Yuma, Arizona. If you would like to come, and uh, hey, that'd be fun, man. You guys going?" Yeah. Or actually, uh, yeah, I'm, we're supposed to go as a crew. What, uh, what, <laughs> what, what, what date? What date? S- sometime in August. Oh, yeah. I might be down for sure. Arizona in August, though. Fuck. Hey, I, <laughs> I can go say what's up with that podcast. I can go visit my mom. I'm with it. Let's there you it. go, Your man. Your family's in, in Arizona? Uh, they moved. They're from, they're from uh, San Diego. They yeah. moved to Arizona you know, to retire. It's like, what, 115? Hot as balls. I don't know how it's they like do it. Yeah, right. when you're going down there, bro. They, man, they, they're like, yeah, we're going to try to do it by a pool party. I'm like, dude, that's that's great. <laughs> yeah, but, okay, I need that. <laughs> <laughs> the pool is like a hot tub. It's all bubbling. Like, <laughs> and uh, we have I have a question by Dark, Dark Sage 9117 from Twitch saying, a movie is being made about Theodore Roosevelt, a fascinating guy but a controversial figure in American history. I am concerned a movie about him would cause further hate and division in a polarized time. I am curious what this panel thinks a movie about him should cover or could cover. Yes, he was an imperialist. Imperialist. Yes, he had warped views of society. Yes, he was a racist. But he also did good things for the country, and his life is one that most people would find fascinating because of all the things and experiences he had. But I also understand he had things about him that were not so good. Like Churchill? I mean, everybody's got... <laughs> Some people are inglorious, some people are infamous, some people are famous. Uh, I think as an innovator, as a president, what he did, he maybe benefited our country in the long run. But, yeah, there's a lot of controversial things around Roosevelt, you know. I I think, you know, if you're going to tell history, tell the history. Say it. it. And and have the viewer interpret, you know, how it impacted them. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to tell the history, tell the history. Right. And that's a conversation I had with uh, one of the guys at the kitchen where I work at. um, How we were talking about how there is history, but how it gets... Misconstrued, how misconstrued by you know whoever's handling it. Mm-hmm. Others that saying that uh, history is written by the victors. Yeah. So uh, how it it just depends on how true they make the movie, which you know I I'm not gonna you know hold my breath on that because right. everybody has their different points of views. You know, it's like like the example I gave him was like the Bible. You know, it's been it's you know it's been here forever. But how many people have not translated or grabbed, you know, grabbed it? How many times has it not been changed? Well, actually, we actually talked about the Bible on my show. No, we're not religious on my show. The main event show every Sunday. That's why it comes over here and speaks about it. But no, I mean, (laughs) the Bible, though, you know, it's a book. You know, it doesn't really have an author, but it's a book. And what I say at that is because it was given to peasants to follow these guidelines of life. I don't ever see any kings or queens having a Bible next to them reciting a Bible. I think it was meant to, to instill the fear of hierarchy to the peasants. I'm not religious and I don't want you guys to think I'm like anti-religious. You know, I, I like people who believe in what they believe in, but that's just how I feel, you know, cause mm-hmm. no, no hierarchies are really 
all about the Bible. They say, you read the Bible. Like, what about you, Doug? You know, why, why don't you follow these guidelines as our king? Yeah, man, I, I think that, you know, historical context can be used in different ways. And, and that's why I think it's always important who we have in leadership um, on how they're going to translate. Like we hear people throw away, throw out the Constitution all the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, under God, you right? Know? And what, so, what God is it? Right, and so it goes back to like, how are you using that? Yeah, right. And and I think that's why information is is, is powerful. Um, man, there's a there's a um, an organization called the Equal Justice Initiative. I think that's what it is. So it's ran by a guy named Brian Stevenson, and he's a, a criminal defense attorney that represents people on death row. Mm-hmm. And on social media, every day on social media, they post that day. This is what happened in history on this day, and it's all about like mm-hmm. racial equity. But they have a dope saying at the end that it says, in, in order for us to um, overcome racial equity, we need to, I know it says, in order for us to overcome racial equity, we need to confront our past, our history. And when it comes to, you know, a movie being made about Roosevelt, part of that is, you know, it's accepting what has taken place and moving forward. I think what, what upsets people is when you try to, like, cover it. So, yeah, because what really grinds my gears, shout out Peter Griffin, uh, is what they do with, with all these like slavery statues. Like I, I get taking down the statues because they don't stand for something, but don't don't erase them out the history books. You know, like that was that made us who we are as a you know, we're still working on equality for everybody in America. But that made us where we are now. That standpoint, you know, like don't erase it just because it was a negative part of our history. It's still like, a part yeah, of our gotta, history. At one point, this is what uh, America reflected and appreciated yeah. and we should not forget but we should learn you know now we have a now we have a black female you know mm-hmm. vice president, president and which we you know? progressed from it yeah you so know? I, I think we should embrace that have them like taking down those statues i know it sucks i'm not racist at all but you know abraham lincoln like that that kind of what what changed you know a lot of things you know it's crazy a lot of people didn't like him because he wasn't really for abolishing slavery he just wanted to win that war and so he abolished he just slavery. wanted the united states yeah. to stay together a lot of people don't know that he, he was for slavery he just wanted to win that fucking war, and he yeah. he did. So it's crazy. Yeah, you're right. If you're gonna tell the documentary, I hope they do it. I hope they do him justice, whether it's you know injustice or justice. Tell the story right. Yeah, because I mean, he also did like the uh, shoot. I forgot what it was, but it helped a lot of like the national forests and stuff. He did a lot of like environmentalist like yeah. programs that actually helped. And like he was in the made him like okay, national forest, you can't touch it type of thing. Now, if they did a Reagan documentary, that would that'd be pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, have you? I yeah, I forget. There's a snow. The show on on Hulu. Snowfall. Yeah, that show is so dope, bro. Bro, <laughs> that whole thing. <laughs> what is it? Snowfall. Snowfall. It kind of like it, it parodies uh, a Rick, Rick, Rick Ross. Yeah, Rick yeah. Ross. The, so real the, real, the real Rick Ross. Mm-hmm. And it, and it kind of it talks about how Reagan was trying to win the war against the Contras, and so they were funneling, um, you know, cocaine in through. You know, Central America and through Mexico, bring it into Los Angeles and how crack our government, yeah, through CIA operatives. Well, basically, they went ahead and and moved the cocaine from that to fight against the war of communism so they could go ahead and get the guns right there. But then that's where crack came at the expense of urban, Mm -hmm. you know, know, central, I mean, urban America, urban America, yeah. yeah. Now it's poverty America, yeah, poverty America. So it's like at the expense of them, the crack epidemic, you know, funded this war. Damn, interesting. All, all for the, all for the good fight against communism. Yeah, based on that. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. What, what? But pre- that's history. That is history. What people that's- in power will do just to win something, you know? They'll I mean, lie look to you. Look at Ali North. Remember, he he came yeah. on to be a CNN reporter and shit yeah. after that, bro. <laughs> that babe, that fool was basically a war criminal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Interesting. Interesting. Fucking a, right? <laughs> that, that's crazy. Yeah, but there's your answer, Dark Sage, 9117.
<laughs> that was on Twitch, huh? That was the first time. Hey, Jimmy, you came out a good one. Hey, <laughs> Twitching. Mm-hmm. Nah, but uh, shoot, I I think we're we're probably at the end of this episode. Guys. Well, yeah. If, if, if any uh, young teens or anybody knows a young teen who's troubled over that wants to read out, out to you, out to you, where can yeah. they find you at? Man, I I think so. Um, they can reach out to me uh, via social media. I think I think that's the best thing because from for most part, like kids that are on probation, you know, we get in contact with them. If they're from Oceanside and Vista, we already have, yeah, yeah we've already have contact with them, or we're visiting them in the halls and all of that. Uh, but yeah, you can reach out to me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I, I think one of the biggest things that one of the models that I truly believe in uh, when it comes to mentoring, policing, uh, school districts, whatever is for the folks who are in those positions to be proximate in the communities that they serve. Right. And so like, I live, you know, I'm in Oceanside, bro. Like I'm, I'm here. I I spend most of my time in Oceanside in different neighborhoods, different communities. And so I think that's just important that people should live in the communities that they serve. Right. Because it's going to mean a lot more to you if you do, and people are going to be able, you're going to be a lot more accessible. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I feel about teachers. That's how I feel about police officers. That's how I feel about like most people that are in positions of serving the community. Um, and so, yeah, I think social media, we can, I think for me, it's always like, if, if, if my program or the programs that I'm a part of, um, can service, I, I can find a program that will, or that will be closer to you. Right. You know what I mean? Okay. Or, or your age range or whatever, you know So what even I mean? if you're in an ocean size, yeah, reach out, reach out. yeah, out. for sure. For sure. We'll, we'll connect them to someone or, or me or, or, or whoever, but it's always about finding the best fit too, you know, but yeah. their services. Yeah. And besides you in person, like, what do you got going on right now, like, as as uh, organizations and stuff? Man, I, I think for, um, so, yeah, so with Resilience, that's, like, my my baby, man. Like, that's, like, you know, the, to to have a program that, even when I ran Reach Libby Lake, like, that program looked a lot different than w- when it was ran before. Because I, mm-hmm. I was very intentional about bringing the kids who kicked it at the mm-hmm. park into the program. So to have Resilience, to have a program that. Um, is really working with this population that most people have like written off, you know, you picked up a charge or you're documented or whatever, like we're not servicing you no more. You know what I mean? It's kind of like good luck. So to have a program that specifically services that population to me, that's like my heart. Um, we're in the process of currently getting our new building. We're finally going to have a resilience building. Hell yeah. Can come five days a week. We'll have a music <laughs> studio. We'll have like a dope setup. And these are specifically for kids on probation. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, gang documented like you have a space give them away yeah right and then you know we're always exposing them going on field trips and all of that um so that's what we're doing there we're doing work with NAACP right now around um some advocacy work that's going to be coming out soon um Oceanside Justice Coalition obviously we're gearing up for 2022 um the elections because even though it's next year you know in order for us to 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 have an influence in that we have to start now and it shows up quick though it yeah. comes real quick right right and, and so- it's over even quicker yeah right and so it's just you know informing the community it's not necessarily telling people who to vote for but it's informing the people about this the, is the influence and the power that they individually have educate yourself right, make right. your own decision but educate yourself right right and yeah. you know activating activating the community and so that that that's where um what i got going on man just do you got any place where people could register that are looking to register to vote i i, I think there i mean there's obviously different websites we don't the Oceanside Justice coalition doesn't have like okay this is the place that you go but our goal is to get out there in the community with different community partners because Oceanside Justice coalition is pretty much it's a network of community residents that are also involved in different organizations and so it's all about everyone using their skill set and their presence to get people out mm-hmm. there so it's not going to be one organization the same way that resilience isn't like the magic pill 
you know, to mentoring. Like we partner with like seven different other mentoring programs mm-hmm. in Oceanside because our goal is we need to get this kid in front of as many mentors as possible. It's right. not about like one program. You know, like, oh, I got this one. Like, uh, like a it's, it's kind of similar how you were talking about, like, you know, uh, San Clemente and Carlsbad yeah. and Encinitas is all taking accountability for their area. It's the same way where, you know, if they can't make it out to your to your area. They could go to, you know, something that's right. Closer. Right. Or like, man, like, man, you live here, bro. We're, we're going to help you, but they're going to help you. They're going to help you. They're going to help you. And, and that's why, like, Resilience has its partnerships. Like we every Wednesday, we take our kids to Navarre's boxing gym. And so, like, we we've been doing that almost like for the past, like, six, seven months. Every Wednesday, we take our kids there because we know that they're going to be mentored by, you know, the trainers mm-hmm. there in Navarre's Boxing. And now they have another place that's safe for them to go. So, yeah. you know, we're giving them multiple right. places. Different prior, outlets. Prior to the pandemic, um, we would also go once a week to Cal State San Marcos because they had a program called Transitions Youth Collective. And it was ran by formerly incarcerated college students. And it was on campus. So what would that do? So we would take our kids there every Wednesday and, and they would hold like different like it was like groups, but they would have different like topics every every week that the kids would participate in games or sometimes we would just go to like the, the game room mm-hmm. and play pool and foosball and video games and they would have food. But the thing is, they were exposing them to the college campus environment. It's so, a lifestyle. So that you had kids yeah. from different gangs, then you had to navigate Cal State San Marcos. And so if they changed the room, the kids like, oh, it's in the library. I know where that's at. So every every, you know, once a week, these kids were on the university. You know what I mean? They're low key getting a tour, right? Right, and and you know they were being welcomed by formerly incarcerated students who pretty much would share their stories. Also, like man, I was in prison, now I'm getting my bachelor's, mm-hmm. and it was another, but it was also other mentors. You get what I'm saying? Right. So like, we have some kids that didn't want to do boxing but wanted to do the Cal State thing. So we were just exposing them to more and more programs and more and more people who want to help them. Also, like like someone like you who like you school wasn't for you, but then college was a little bit easier. Yeah. You were treated with respect. You're an adult. It, it's probably easier. Yeah. Well, the, it's just different, bro. Like if you come from environments where we come from, I don't want to raise my hand to go to the bathroom. If I want to go to the bathroom, I just want to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So it's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, right. And so, so true. And, and, I, and I think also like the college mindset is different it's like you hold yourself accountable yeah a professor oh, if, if you don't come to class a professor's not gonna <laughs> I get learned on that you the hard way, that's on you dog. yeah it's yeah. on you and i think someone from like coming from our environment that's more like okay i feel that you know what I mean? yeah. now if you care i'm gonna go out of my way to help you like that's where mo- a lot of professors are if you care i'm gonna help you but if you're not feeling this i'm not gonna go out it's of my on way you. that's you're on a you grown ass man yeah. right right and so i i think that um people some people are very receptive to that Mm-hmm. you know and, and like a little bit of like an independence yeah man because it's like it's a, there's a level of respect but there's also a level of like empowerment that comes with that mm-hmm. and i think that i embraced it and i've seen a lot of our students embrace it but what we try to do is we try to put faces in front of our students that they can see themselves in so a lot of the people that we're putting them in front of are people that either grew up here formerly incarcerated lifestyle and are successful now and so the kids can see them and be like hey bro like i heard about you or like I can tell by the tattoos, my bad. I can tell by the tattoos. Or you're you know, from the hood. Yeah, right. But dang, you're doing this. That becomes inspiring because now you can see yourself. Maybe no one in your family's done it, but like, dang, this dude did it. Yeah, and you, you know, kind of like see yourself. Knowing that his family, did right, it. right, yeah. right. And so, and, that, and that's what we try to do. You know, it's just exposure, man. We we try to. Yeah. What resilience is about exposure and you know doing life with you. With Osha Justice Coalition, it's about elevating the community's voice. And mobilizing and organizing the community over specific things that the community's telling us that they would like to see. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's about empowerment, bro. Both of them are it's just doing it in different ways. 
Well, definitely shout out. I know growing up as a kid, man, it was hard, man. Going yeah. to different schools and 12 different school years wasn't easy. You yeah. know, and like I'm sure Bruce and everybody else has like their own struggle coming up. So having a platform like that is super dope, man. So if anybody's like hurting or struggling, yep. man, definitely drop to this man right here, Jimmy. Definitely. And it's funny bring up the platforms, man. I just saw that you uh you started a podcast with Matt Strange. Yeah, bro. So like a lot of my like a lot of the things that I was doing, even like so Daniel, the owner. Mm-hmm has been like me and him like we met in 2009 at maricosa right. and we were both student ambassadors and we clicked immediately based off of like even in that space at that time there wasn't there wasn't a lot of people at maricosa or in college spaces mm-hmm. that had the similar stories that him and i did he right. grew up on the east side and you know we both had family involved and and so it was like finding someone within that space that just understood like you know we took classes together and when he went to UCLA and I went to Berkeley, we were both trying to navigate like that process together. I'm, we applied to these schools, like, you know, in the same space, like being in the same office, applying to these schools. When I got accepted to uh, the universities, he was there next to me. And so when he went to UCLA and I came back, when I took on the Libby job, I immediately reached out to him and said, hey, bro, we're trying to do yeah. these different things. And I remember he asked me, he was like, man, my brother is creating um, these shirts. He's trying to create this thing called Mad Strange. His brother was like a sophomore at the time at Osha High School. And he's like, man, I'm going to like, I'm going to invest in it and let's see how he does. You know, they made some shirts, started selling them at the schools and his brother started doing well, bro. But that started by a sophomore in high school. Hey, you know what I mean? Matt Strange was started by a sophomore in high school. His his brother, Daniel, was probably like 25 at the time. And it was kind of just like mentoring and championing his younger brother's like dreams, you know, and um, that took off, bro. And so, like, I've been a supporter of them from the very beginning because I got to see, like, that process process, play out, bro. And so, like, for me, it's always been inspiring when you get to see uh, entrepreneurs, creators, people. Even when I walked in here and I was like, bro, this is dope, right? (laughs) I love to see it because it's like you are are putting energy towards a dream that you help create from nothing, you know? And so when um, the idea of doing the Master Age podcast, a lot of it was like, how do we unite the different creatives in the city but also how can we like empower oceanside and show man how much talent is here how can we highlight like bro there's so many gems in the city and there's so many like local legends that we like think are super dope and we know the history behind them or part of it and how can we share their story um with others and a lot of that just came from like me and daniel always being on the mindset of like how can we unite oceanside because that's a, that's a big thing for us. We've always been on like, how can we empower and unite Oceanside and use the platforms that we have to do that? And so like, nah, man, it, it is dope, bro. But like for me, like I um, I knew like I got to see Matt Strange from a distance when it, Matt Strange was just inside a, a sophomore's backpack. Right. You know what I'm saying? And to mm-hmm. see them take that and create and a it. whole brand and create a store and a record label and um, have the platform that they have in a matter of a decade. And it started with the sophomore. Like for me, a sophomore who, you know, was born and raised on the east side, like coming from like the space of mentoring, um, you want to see that because that's what we're trying to promote out here. Mm-hmm. That's know? exactly what you want. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly, you know, and I, I just got to be a part of it as like a fan and as a spectator from like, bro, like keep grinding. You know what I mean? Keep grinding. I remember when they were breaking even, not making anything for years, just like keep grinding. You know what I mean? And so like to 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 see that hustle. Bro, it's inspiring because that's what you want. Locals yeah. from Oceanside taking a dream, making it become a reality, and now like be, having a platform. So like, I, I'm just a part of that, man. Being a part of that is just super dope. And so far, man, we just had our homies on it. 
yeah. you know we're bringing people that we grew up with that we've known right. for a long time and and people that to us are legends in the city um and being able to kind of like give them their roses mm-hmm. you know and, and i think that's important bro because i think in oceanside we do a horrible i want to say horrible but yeah we like we name parks after people after they die you know what I mean? We name things after people after like they've passed away. And to me, it's like, why are it's, we... it's like the emotional fat Albert episode. Yeah, man. We need to you give know? people their roses while they're doing it. Yeah. You know true. what I mean? It's like, yeah, why do we wait? True. I forgot who did it uh, this last week. Uh, I, I want to say Sham Black. I'll give you a shout out. Even if it's not you, let me know. But um, yeah, someone's like, yeah, let's give the, let's give the man the roses while he's still alive. And he uh, he paid homage to someone who like, got him in the game yeah. music wise. Like, yeah, dude, like. Why, why don't we fucking appreciate people while they're alive? You it's know? crazy, right? It's like, I, I don't get it. Like, even like Junior Sarah Amphitheater, like that, he should have had that amphitheater like the moment he retired. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why did why yeah. did we have to wait? He should have been able to see the that. The Oceanside Field should become Junior Sarah right. Field. You know? Bro, yeah. I remember when uh, Junior Sarah was still playing for the Patriots, he would hold these, when he was in town, he would hold these boot camps at 6 a.m. And anyone can go. The surf to, boot camps or which ones? No, they were just like workout boot camps, bro, oh, at shit. 6 a.m. And anyone can go um, at the amphitheater. And I went to, I think, one or two, right? And you would get there and you would stretch in front of under the pier. Mm-hmm. He would have, and he would have like the varsity running back, like uh, uh, Matt, lead, lead Matt, the Matt Seggy, who at that time was like an Oceanside High School like star, who's a pastor now at uh, Coast City. He's a youth pastor. He would be in charge of the stretches. The senior, right? But Junior Sales empowering the senior, like Matt, you lead the stretches. Be the be the captain, right? Yeah. And then he would have other, like sometimes professional trainers come in, and Paul Pow Pow was out there, who's you know very influential uh, community leader, and he had locals, right? And then he would work out with you. He's stretching with you. Then you would run down all the way to the north end of the strand, run back, and then you would do the workout at the amphitheater. He was doing that at six a.m. Anyone, anyone can work out there. You can work out with a Hall of Fame football player. Right. And it's like, bro, that should have been named maybe while he was still in the league. Right. Like, and that's cool. Stuff that, like that is crazy to me. And, and me too. Like, yeah. I, it's so humbling, dude. And I'm glad that you, you keep embracing like local, like mindsets like that. Like, yeah, dude, you know, like we're all here. We're all in the same struggle. It doesn't matter my success or you're, you're not or your potential success. Let's all work together. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what that workout was kind of like. Hey, dude, just doesn't matter. I'm in the league or not. And it was mostly all high school football players or high school kids that would come. And he always had a message, bro. Like, he was always bringing, he's very inspirational. But it was, like, for a lot of the kids, I'll never forget, like, uh, Matt Seggy, who he had, like, it was, like, you had this Hall of Famer trusting you to, like, hey, bro, you're leading these stretches. And the leader that I've seen him become in the community, I think part of that, and I think they're related, but part of that also comes, like, bro, you had this dude who, like, lead, you know what I mean, lead this workout. And still leadership in you. Right, right, man. And so he was empowering others. Um, and I think a lot of times as a mentor, that's what you try to do. You try to empower the kids that you're working with or the people that you're working with. So even if you're doing all this work behind the scenes, you want the youth to feel like they did it because that what that's doing is making the, it's, it's, it's activating the youth to say, Oh, I, believe I, can, in I, I can, can do it. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> yeah, man. And so like, that's what you try to do. And a, a lot of things that um, I've been doing, it's because that's what, like I saw leaders like uh, Fai Pow Pow, who's a, a security guard at high school, but man, he was, big influential person in my life oh yeah, yeah. Been that, dude. paul pow pow like i said matt seggy anthony Steele, like um wayne goodney like all these different folks even like um brian navarez who has the boxing gym his dad was uh training people uh kids in the neighborhoods back in the early 90s um as a like uh um because there was so gang violence at that time was at the highest in oceanside 
And so his dad partnered with different community leaders to train kids like at John, near John Landis and Tri-City in boxing. Mm -hmm. So you have all these community legends that people don't know about um, that I think it's, it's important for us to highlight because for me, I'm like, the next park should be named after these people. Right. But a lot of times, you know, our parks are named after people who were like in the part of the in crowd in the city of Oceanside. Mm -hmm. And folks like Paul Pow Pow and Wayne Goodnay are not recognized the way that they should be, at least from my perspective, because they're the ones that were out here keeping the kids off the streets and doing whatever they could to provide options. Um, and so like, yeah, when it comes to like the Matt Strange podcast, we've been bringing in folks who like, man, who we think have just played a hand in being influential in the city um, from our lens and trying to give them roses, man, but all, hopefully uniting um, the community. Because I think my mindset has always been like, man, we can all win. Every right. podcast can win. Every artist can win. Every community mentoring program can win. And the more of us that are winning, the more that it brings attention to the city, the more that the city's winning the, at the end of the day, the more that the locals are winning, you know what I mean? And so it's like, bro, we got to give each other love, you know? And then that's always just been like, as far as from the city, like that's always been my mindset. That's been at my personal goal too. Like let's yeah. all come up as a, as a team, like concrete, you know, you can't break concrete. Right. You know? Right. If one person makes it, you can knock them off that pedestal. But if we all come up as a concrete platform, it's going to be a lot harder to knock us off. For sure. Like, for sure. That's just the mindset I've always had too. Right. Like, yeah, let's, let's come up together. You yeah. know, like it doesn't have to be number one, number two, number three. Like let's all be number one. I had one of my, my closest homies always told me, man, he, he used to run a, a gym. Right. And he would always work with other gym owners like near him. And I was kind of like, at that time I was a, a little bit younger and I was like, bro, why are you doing that? He's like the competition. <laughs> right, right. And he was like, bro, he's like, there's not enough. He said, if everybody worked out, there's not enough gyms to fill all the people that, out here, no, you know what I mean? That was his mindset. He was like, there's not enough people. We don't have enough gyms. We need to team up. Right. He said, it's not about competing, man. It's about creating. And he was like, I might have someone come to my gym and I might be the best fit for my gym, but they may fit for his gym and it might work. Right. right. And I was just, bro. And he was like, like partnering with people that had a gym like across the street. Damn. You know what I mean? Like but, competition, but homies. But like. they were both winning. And the reason that they were both winning is because they weren't trying to compete with they one another. Together. They were creating. And that kind of got me thinking like, man, if, if we have more of that in the city, where it's like, man, the more we're creating, not worry about competing because even like for podcasts or like music, there's so many genres and niches now. Like if I do music and, and I don't do music, but if, if I'm making music, I'm making music for this target audience. Mm -hmm. This target audience may not even listen to this artist. So you're not even competing against that artist because you have two different audiences, right. mm -hmm. which is dope. But if, if you guys same city, link up. Right, yeah. right, right. And so it goes back to creating. And then everybody can win. Even if everyone's making the same stuff, Everybody, everybody could win. Could everybody win. could win, bro. And so, like, that's something that um, I, I, I hope that we're able to promote with the the Mad uh, Strange podcast is giving roses, um, and and also promoting the that, that everybody can win. You know. Mm -hmm. Wait, well, hey, we should have a, a podcast expo up in North County one of these uh, upcoming Dude, months or years. Now. Yeah, that'd be yeah. dope. There's some sick ones up here. Yeah, not, man, not just definitely. us three, but there's some sick. No, other man, ones but too. that's why, like, even walking in here, I was like, bro, this is inspiring. And, and and it's dope to see what you guys are doing. And um, like I said, like even the even what you guys are doing, highlighting people within the community, like that that that's just it's super dope, bro. Nah, dude, the King Podcast is dope, man. I was yeah. I was not envious. I was kind of honored when like, dude, during that whole like uh, election race, he had almost every runner on here at a yeah. different yeah. week. Like, the fact that they felt like they needed to come on, yeah, that, dude, that was you know crazy. Yeah, that shit was crazy. That's that's crazy. Dude, dude, yeah, I, that's that is one thing that did surprise me. Like you know, our 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 mayor she reached out. You know, I was like, whoa, okay, dude. And I still feel so bad because like 
<laughs> oh, oh you mean how you got the last names mixed up? Yeah, <laughs> I, I called her by the last name, Dude, by the wrong asshole. last name. Man. <laughs> it was it was embarrassing, man. <laughs> but uh, you know, Those were replays. Nah, I, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know much about what she approved since she became in office, but she is uh, sticking to her word what she told us, and there is going to be a a recreational dispensary in Oceanside. So Esther Sanchez, thank you for at least sticking to one of your words. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for your time, man. We greatly appreciate you coming by. I appreciate you guys, man. Like I, I watch, bro, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm a fan. I've known this dude for many, many years, bro. So, like for me, when I see him doing his thing, it was like he told me, I was like, bro, Jimmy, when I see you doing your nah, thing, you're doing your thing. When he told me, he's like, can you come? I was like, bro, just tell me whatever day, and I'll come on. Hey, you know. And that was like what two months ago, and he was like, well, bro, we actually got like two months. He asked me when can you come on, and I told him, and he was like. Well, yeah, nah, bro. We actually got two months. We're booked two months. I wasn't lying though, right? This was like three months ago, right? When yeah. you asked me two or three months ago. Yeah. Thank, thank God you didn't say next month. Come on, like, bam, bam, bam. Guess I But that's so dope, guess, bro. Like, you know what I mean? He even took out his calendar and he's like, yeah, we can get you in. And I was like. <laughs> I can pencil you in. But for me, I just told him, I said, whenever, bro. You know, because I still remember Bruce coming through, man, and just being so chill and like. He was, he was like, man, you always want someone like Bruce in your programs because he's a glue. He's a glue mentee. What I mean by that is that he comes in and he's cool with everybody. Yeah. He's cool with everybody. So he shakes everybody's hands. And so even if there's tension in the room, Bruce just shook everybody's hands and made everybody laugh or like was yeah, kicking yeah. with everybody. And so it's like the vibe. You need like people chameleon. like that. Yeah, yeah you need yeah. people in, like that in the room because then it just it livens it up. It creates a positive that energy, true, positive man. vibe. And Bruce is definitely. I agree that, 100%, yeah. man. I get well, so are you, man. Jimmy Action so Figueroa. <laughs> right That's good, bro. <laughs> Bruce, you want to lead us out? This outro. Any any last shout out, fellas, before we go? Shout out to Full Metal Burgers, the best burgers in North County. We don't even eat fries. Shout out to 91X every Sunday loudspeaker. Ooh, you can catch his video or his song there. Yeah, calling damage 91X loudspeaker yeah. every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. Any shout outs, Jimmy? Uh, man, yeah, man. Just uh, shout out to uh, you know the resilience team, man. I, I appreciate all of you guys for everything you do in the community. Our resilience mentees, Project Reach staff who are out there doing it, man. Most of these programs, bro, like during the pa- the pandemic, stayed open. You know, yeah, stayed yeah. open and provided services to the yeah. man, and and because of the needs in the communities that we serve. And for me, it's like I, I acknowledge that because for them, it was like, look, man, we. These kids. No days off, baby. Right. And so I just I just appreciate that, man. And everyone out in the community doing their thing, bro. Like it's we need more programs. We need more mentors. The more positive people we can put in front of our kids, the better. So real quick, I know you probably got something going on during summer. Is there anything going on for the for the summer for the kids? Man, yeah, we're about to get our own space. So we're about to get our own space. And so, yeah, we're I was just there today. We're going to have a music studio in it. Like I said, we're going to have a space for them to kick it. Summertime, we're going to have AC. A lot of, it's crazy, <laughs> it's crazy AC, but a lot of these after-school programs don't got AC, bro. Oh, bro. <laughs> you're, you're running, you know, you're literally running these programs, like, on, on pennies. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, um, but just to have a space for them to, you know, to be able to come and, and um, feel comfortable and feel at home. Um, the reach themselves. programs, yeah, bro. Like you can lead your guard down, you know, and you have people that love on you. Um, but yeah, man, I, I'm sure there's gonna be things coming up, and I'll and I'll shoot to Bruce, and you guys can, you know. Yeah. You know, oh, I will say, uh, real quick, I just found out this past week that Maricosta College is gonna be incorporating the transitions uh, program at at Maricosta this fall. And what that is is it's a it's a cohort specifically designed for formerly incarcerated um, adults ready to go. Mm-hmm to the college. So what they do is like, 
it's like a mentoring program within okay. the college system, but people that have been formerly incarcerated. Do you have to have your GED already? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. No. And, but why that's so important, man, we got people coming home that weren't around when iPhones were created. Weren't around when like, you know, social media and technology and all that. So like, it's important to have cohorts like that on campus because like, as we said, you need people to guide you through the process. Right. So if it was difficult for us, imagine for someone that's been away for 15, 20 yeah. years. Right. And so Maricosa is now investing in a program that's going to start in the fall. And that's important for our area because Oceanside has like the highest level of recidivism. We have a lot of people who are formerly incarcerated that come back home and, and to have a space for them in higher education. And it's a, it's, it's pretty much, it's, it's the, uh, um, incarceration to higher education pipeline. You're reversing the prison to school pipeline. And they have that connection to Cal State San Marcos, which has a similar program. So you're hoping that you create this pipeline because studies have shown that um, someone that has an AA degree and someone like the, the chances for them to reoffend dramatically decrease. I believe like the recidivism rate is like 75%. But if someone has an AA, it decreases to like 30%. Oh, and damn. if they have a bachelor's, it decreases to like 10%. Well, it's and crazy because so, what they do in Switzerland with their prisons is they actually uh, they they rehabilitate them. They they get them the right credentials. No, I've seen that. I've seen oh, I've seen a documentary on. I it. Yeah. wish we could yeah. do something like that. Yeah. You know, in America, obviously that's neither here nor there. Well, I mean, but, it's a whole private sector, right? Yeah, I mean, well, so obviously it's it an Swiss- industry. You know, so it's like there's an industry of keeping people locked up, and so that's why you've seen so many hard on tough crime legislations because if you're if you're part of the industry and you're making money off of it those people who are making money off of it are going to endorse and get behind politicians who are going to pass hard on crime laws. laws. And so there's so much money being pumped into the elections to get those people in office who are going to support keeping people locked up because you got to think, man, like prior to them, like in San Diego County, making like phone calls free, you have the telecommunications industry. You have all the cheap labor, all the products that are being made in prison. And then obviously like the commissary and the food that's being brought in prison, someone's making money off that the linens, the blankets, Everything that goes into housing mm-hmm. somebody, some there's an industry Someone behind it, money right? Someone's it. making money off of yeah. it. And so, like, if that, if, if a huge bar, part of your profit margin for your corporation is coming from that, yeah, you're going to want to keep your business, you know, going. I mean, so, right. yeah. if you guys know Camila Harris, when she was California representative, she she did nothing but try to incarcerate people. Who yeah, she was hard on crime, yeah. Very hard, yeah, yeah. especially marijuana crimes. Like, yeah. come on, yeah. you know? But yeah, it, it's really cutthroat. But yeah, you're right though. Know who you're voting for. Yeah, you know it's huge. Yep. Well, well you're the man. Said right. <laughs> There's a lot of things to be talking about. Maybe we could do this the next time around. <laughs> to do around two. Fucking eight hours, two hours, huh? Yeah. What time are we on? Yeah, two yeah. hours, two hours, eleven minutes. Yeah. Well, that was two hours, eleven minutes of a great episode of a topic. Thank you for Jimmy Froger over tagging along with us and chopping up and kicking it right here in the studio. Catch us right here on Ocean Side. Monday nights and also sometimes on the Wednesdays really depends. Catch Smoke Dog on his main event show and also Oof. when he's at the smoke shops too. Hey, yeah. look him up. Smoking boot every Thursday. Hey. Without that being said, I'm glad I went down my memory lane right here with Jimmy. Talk some things out, the topics being covered, and also the future progress about the CD come up along. I want to appreciate you guys for keep watching and tuning up with us. Thank you for drinking up with us. Thank you for talking up with us. And thank you for kicking it. We out. Jimmy Action Figueroa. Crazy, bro.